OTB GAA Scale has opened the war definitely with the football pod Where are your power rankings now? The Royal Rumble that's coming our way Hurling pod versus football pod Will, you're a coward Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts OTB AM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar Right, you're very welcome along. It's Monday morning. It is uh, the weekend that Ireland have won again, and we're all a little bit like, oh, this is getting, we're getting used to this, are we? It's getting a little bit too used to us. Um, get us on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Get us uh, at off the ball am on Twitter. Uh, we're live on OTB Sports Radio, and of course, many of you will be listening to this on podcasts. Uh, so we're delighted to have you with us. Also with us today, Colin. Colin, how are you? Sure, good morning. And Nathan. Nathan, how are you? Hey, Jer. That was a proper Monday morning intro to the show, wasn't it? The music started and you're like, there's definitely something that happens when this music comes on. What do go. I do next? Well, no, we're excited. We're just overwhelmed by how good we are at rugby at the moment. Mm. We're going to get into that, obviously, in the performance rankings. So don't use any of your good lines right now. This is it. This could be snappy. How was your weekend, for example? No, no one cares about you know? No one cares about how my weekend was. Yeah, you never know. You'd they really following. don't. They really don't. Uh, you're waking up this morning to the news that Tommy Fury beat Jake Paul in Saudi Arabia. That's the main sports news this morning. Certainly, it seems to be according to like the BBC and uh, I, 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 the whole Jake Paul thing largely passed me by. Uh, where was this broadcast? Was it pay per view? Pay per view? Oh no, no, okay. no! They've um, like it's going to be the biggest pay per view fight of the year. I saw Matthew Macklin on. Instagram or Twitter yesterday going like well, how do we even fix this sport it's completely ruined like what are we going to do here but have these sideshows not always happened in boxing like, is it doing any harm to boxing or is it bringing uh, teenagers who had really no interest in the sport into it and they find themselves on it and then they stick around for the good stuff yeah I don't think they stick around for the good stuff is the thing uh, they're just uh, they're getting sugared up on the prime right yeah. and this is just the prime of boxing <laughs> and then they move on to the new prime Jake Paul must be making an absolute fortune. I think that's the that is the whole point. But now so is Tommy Fury. So, um, you know, there you go. Was this important to this register in your sporting? It was a contender, but I mean, it was mentioned in our pre-show meeting by a member of staff. What about that? I was nah, because I can't compete with what everyone's about to see in the Gillette Labs performance. Hey, rankings. there you go. That's why he's a producer. Here's what's coming up between now and... T- I'd like, I would honestly like to hear if any of the people who are watching this morning were watching last night what they thought of it. Uh, so the performance rankings are coming up in two minutes. Alan Quinn is going to join us in studio at five past eight to look back on the Six Nations. Andy Mitten, Manchester United, a trophy. Alex Ferguson getting pictured with Ten Hag. Everybody at United feeling themselves. Ten Hag throwing a bone to the Glazers just in case they're sticking around. And um, maybe maybe them sticking around is actually not the worst case scenario anymore. Maybe it's not. Anthony Moyle at 8.50, looking back on a weekend of Gaelic football where all of a sudden the Talton Cup is looking like a realistic thing for certainly Kildare. Uh, Sarah Dunham is going to join us at a quarter past nine. We might talk a bit about Kyle Hayes and, the, and just how Limerick seems to be always getting away with it, according to my Twitter feed anyway, whereas actually uh, a lot of people are like, oh, the witch hunt has already started, I see. So there you go. Pays you money, you take a choice this morning and at half past nine we'll play a snippet from the pay-per-view yesterday as well. But at 7.33 this morning, two minutes early, ahead of time, we're going to get in, into the Gillette Labs performance rankings.
You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. Our performances have just lacked that intensity. So normally we start in the red. We're making an exception for this. Yes. Nathan. Starting with the green. Yes. That's right. Welcome, Nathan. An executive How are you? decision. Nathan Murphy. This is the bit of the show where you take this is, over. This is, this is my bit. Yeah. God damn it, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, yes, we're going to start with the green this time because we've got a positive story on a, on a Monday morning. Maybe we should make this a regular thing, actually. Instead of starting by giving out every Monday morning, maybe we start with a fresh mindset. And actually, there was good things that happened over the weekend, uh, particularly if you're a Manchester United supporter. So mocking Manchester United. I just want to say mocking is catching. That's all I just want to say. As your man would have said when you were a child. Mocking is catching. Go on, Nathan, go on, take it away. We'll start with Manchester United, then we'll get to Ireland rugby in a minute. So Manchester United, Carabao Cup winners, and boy, did they celebrate it. Uh, very straightforward win over Newcastle in the end. Not the most exciting of League Cup finals. Uh, professional job done by United. They took their chances very well. A couple of goals in the space of six minutes. They're two standout players this season. Casemiro and Marcus Rashford get the goals. And Newcastle having their little dip at just the wrong time of the season. There was about 150,000 Geordies in Trafalgar Square late into the night thinking, finally, this is it. But they've now lost nine straight games at Wembley. So all that money, all that Saudi Lula, kind of for nothing when it came to the big day at Wembley yet again. Uh, But Manchester United definitely feels as if this is the start of something rather than a one-off. I think the manner that they went into this it was felt on the pitch like quite an emotionless victory that they just knew they were a better team. They went about their business. Varane and Casemiro like, you know, we've we've done all this before. We've this won was Champions a, League. This it, is a League Cup final, lads. This was obvious, wasn't this? This was obvious. We, we were on Friday um, predicting what was going to happen here and Colin was desperately trying not to, you know, oh, I can't expect that Manchester United are going to win because I won't enjoy it. But it was clear from about four weeks ago that Manchester United and Newcastle are on divergent paths at the moment and that the strength and depth that Manchester United have and the quality of players that they have and the money that they've invested in the squad is superior to that at Newcastle at the moment and uh, it was clear that they were going to win and if they didn't win it was going to be a bit of a disaster so I think you were just putting up a protected layer oh yeah you're like you know I'm just going to ask this person out but if they don't you know they're not really It'd be fine if they said no it, it doesn't really matter but actually it really matters No 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 it's part of uh, a new era at Manchester United and the League Cup is, is nice to have it's the first trophy that he could possibly have won at the club and he did and that's great but for instance if United were to fall out of the top four at the end of the season and say get knocked out of the last 16 of the Europa League and FA Cup then suddenly it's like oh that was going so well for three quarters of the season so it's just it's a nice uh, momentum keeper I suppose um, but for, you have to look at it like objectively Newcastle are not in good form in 2023 they've only won one league game and really the outlier has been the semi-final two legs against a completely out of sorts Southampton in the dying days of the unmitigated disaster of the Nathan Jones era. So they have been slipping and they just don't seem much of a threat. Having said all that, Alan San Maximum turns Diogo Dallo inside out in 32 minutes and but for a great David De Gea save where he stood strong and tall which is what Laris Carius was accused of not doing for United's second goal then Newcastle could have taken the lead and then the other side of it too United go two up in very quick succession and Dan Byrne has a sitter two minutes before half time inside the six yard box with a header for a man of that size with a heading say, capability he has to score If Dan Byrne has one function in life it is to hit the target from there like what are you doing? 
And if that goes in, it gets suddenly well, quite I think, interesting. I mean, look, it would be interesting to see if he'd hit the target and at least made the goalkeeper do some work. Make the goalkeeper do some work, but he couldn't do it. And that's the difference. It's Rashford versus Dan Byrne. That's the difference in quality that we have at the moment at these teams. And I, I don't blame Newcastle for not being ready just yet. I think Isaac the, the, might have been a their, uh, response breach. to this will be interesting from Newcastle uh, and also the response if they end up not finishing inside the top four with the sudden resurgence in form from Tottenham as to how much they do go invest because obviously they've they've built this little storyline whereby it's just the genius of Eddie Howe that's got them into this position they haven't spent any money at all well, it's just the brilliance <laughs> of, it's, just the, it's just the brilliance of their manager so it doesn't matter that the Saudi money has come in it's made no difference this is all down to Eddie Howe so do they now go, actually, we're going to go and spend 500 million next summer. And we want to be in with the big boys. And we're we're going to go and sign else. Declan Rice. Yeah. We're going to be the team that goes in there and offers more money than anybody else. Because, listen, it has fallen very flat. They've built their, their brilliant season so far on a rock-solid defence. They never changed their back four. Nick Pope has been excellent in goal. But Almiron has completely lost his form. Wilson and Isaac have both struggled for fitness ever since Christmas and they were totally reliant on one of them to just score the goals. So when they don't have that, what do they have? Like, Sam Maximum was, was exciting yesterday, but that's kind of what he is. He turns defenders inside out and he hopes they get booked and he hopes maybe then he can try and have a proper run at them. But I thought he, he, was, he was fine after that. A bit of a one-trick pony? A- absolutely. But I think actually what was more interesting about that was, again, the response from Ten Hag where he didn't wait. At halftime, he took the low off and he brought on Wan-Bissaka and he said, I'm not going to take this risk. We're in a comfortable, we're heading in the right direction. Let's not, let's not jeopardise this by getting him booked again and getting him sent off and suddenly this is a very different game. So I think he's uh, yet again shown that when it comes to making big decisions in cup finals, which isn't an easy thing to make that substitution at halftime, he's willing to go and do it. And this is, from where they were, I know it's a Carabao Cup final, but it's a step towards where they want to be from where they were not even after the first two games of the season from where they were at the Etihad when mm. Manchester City that's only back in October like that's what four months ago yeah I think uh, it's one of the uh, all time great starts to a, a managerial career when you think about it um, we were making the point on Friday as well that if he lost this you know Klopp lost a load of finals yeah. before he ended up Genuinely, getting the team yeah. to the point where they were ready and I think there's probably a little bit of that with Eddie Howe and I think that um you know, Amanda Stavely was kissing all the players afterwards. Uh, you know, she's Newcastle fans waving their flags uh, crazily in the, the stoppage time when the game was yeah, done. Yeah, but that's you, you know, know I mean? they're singing the fields right and right. Yeah, yeah, but it's basically what they're doing there. Well, they, they they do know that they're like they're be back. They as, be back. I don't know who was doing the co-com, but they're making the point that this is probably the last we're going to see of some of these Newcastle players. I mean, you know, yeah, that was me- that metaphorically, was hopefully, <laughs> um, and like they won't be part of the team that wins. Like there'll be you know, Simon Mignolet is playing in all those cup finals and Carius playing in all those cup finals and eventually they get the world class players so those world class players are coming from Newcastle and I don't feel any sympathy for the Newcastle fans whatsoever but for Manchester United this trophy does feel different and we've yeah. been making this point the whole way along that Luis van Gaal won a trophy and got sacked in the lift afterwards even when Mourinho was winning them it never felt like he was building something well, that's it I mean 2017 that's like Mourinho on paper did a good job United two and a half years because the first season they won the League Cup and the Europa League but I remember thinking at that time when they beat Ajax to win the second trophy of that season that yeah it's great that you're winning trophies but it it doesn't feel right because they're not playing great football and it very much feels like the dying embers of Mourinho's greatness and he's, he's proving to the world I still got it. The one Arnie Rone described it as a dead cat bounce those couple of trophies for Mourinho at, at yeah. United. The one thing that really struck me about the Mourinho era was that he was complaining about the transfers and not getting enough money and like like he was somehow divorced from the people 
making the decisions. With Ten Hag, there's none of that. No, but Mourinho... With Ten Hag, well, in, first, in fairness, they have backed Ten Hag at a level that is off the charts. Like, you know, they after the uh, results didn't go their way, they panic splurged and spent a load of money and looked like they'd overspent on a bunch of players who subsequently have turned out to be really, really, really good. Really, they, really, va- really valuable. They packed Mourinho too. Like, let's not forget. Like, Not at the same level. I mean, Mourinho was always whining about not getting centre-backs and then it was like, you look at the players he'd signed at centre-back and it was like, well, he spent 40 million on a guy who you won't pick. But anyway, but, it was, yeah, but there were players million, who he exactly. felt like he hadn't yeah, there were players that he didn't get, but the money was still there. They still spent big. The thing with Mourinho, like he he lived in a hotel for his whole time as United manager. It never felt like he was fully committed to actually doing anything. He was just proving a point, I think, Mourinho at United. Whereas with Ten Hag, like Nathan mentioned there, the disastrous start to the season. Even when they lose, they do it right because it's noteworthy. Like they lost spectacularly in the Manchester Derby the Etihad. It's no kind of, you know, stupid three o'clock on a Saturday defeat. It's like when they lose, it's big. And everything else they're now celebrating it's, it's right. the humiliation of yeah. the defeat. At least when we lost that Manchester Derby, it was the worst Manchester Derby defeat yeah. there had ever been. It was noteworthy. The reason why this feels different is that Ten Hag is clearly in charge of everything. And he's well, totally down to, down to uh, what they were wearing heading into the stadium yesterday. So Manchester United, you will not be surprised to hear, have a suit deal uh, with Paul Smith suits, uh, which uh, I'm sure Paul Smith has spent a lot of money to make sure that the Manchester United players on the rare occasions they get to a cup final are wearing his beautifully tailored suit as they walk into the stadium and they get those shots of them having the chat and taking the photos on the pitch. Eric Ten Hag said, not for me, pal. It's going to take us 10 minutes to change out of those suits. That's just wasting our time. My players are not going to wear those suits. They're going to wear their track suits and they're going to be ready to go when they get to the stadium. And obviously Manchester United said, well, that's not possible. We signed all this money for this is a one. Like They don't wear a suit any other time. They're going to wear a suit today. And Ten Hag put the foot down and uh, said, no, they're going to wear uh, the, the uh, track suit. And he got his way. Well, this this stuff can often feel like it's minor, but you can guarantee that mm. there's an entire commercial department who are like feverishly checking with the lawyers to find some justification to win the argument with him, and he just wins the argument. Do you know? It's like he, it, it, it's it shouldn't be important, but it is important. A strong stance about suits in a cup final. We've been there before with a Manchester United manager, 1996 FA Cup final, when Fergie saw the white suits of Liverpool one nil. He said, apparently, he was right eventually. With Ten Hag is he said apparently yeah like this is, well that's what he said no himself in an interview for, uh, you know right oh, of course right place. he knows he knows that's a he remarkable knows uh, reemergence of Alex Ferguson who uh, uh, yes. has made sure he's front and centre of uh, this entire lads, lads, this has been the case this has been the case since 2013 well it know, absolutely has really? he's, he's know, been very prominent why don't they just give him just he give really him a, has give him an office it worked really well for prominent former Scottish genius managers to hang around I, the training ground I with think you're office. looking too much into that he's just been, yeah, I, I think so personally we, yeah. I think we're, he's been around a lot we're going to talk to Andy Mitten about what happens next because United are it feels in a position to build and you know, Ten Hag has done what all top class managers do and has you know, based his team around a couple of real top quality elite players and yes. Casemiro and Varane is getting the best out of them has raised players above their level whether that's Rashford or Shaw yeah. uh, Fred, looking at Fred yesterday you're going oh, this guy was a laughing stock six mm. months ago because he was stuck in the midfield alongside McTominay who have been completely overrun but actually Casemiro he sort of like Joel Backteep is at Liverpool alongside Van Dijk like that's right an average player who's suddenly been elevated by someone brilliant alongside him the one I'm wondering about Manchester United and their progress forward is Bruno Fernandes and what they do with Bruno Fernandes who has been I think the one disappointment of the Ten Hag era I thought he was bang average again yesterday aside from his usual bitching and moaning throughout the match at every little decision that goes against them thought he contributed very, very little. And that's an area, if you're going to spend a lot of money, if you're going after a Jude Bellingham or 
one of the top quality midfielders, maybe he's the guy who's suddenly sweating for his position. Uh, possibly, possibly. I think he's still uh, recovering from the Cristiano Ronaldo era, Fernandes, where he was very much put back in his box by get his uh, compatriots. And everyone else trying to get back. And I do think it's a bit of the Sancho thing where everyone else is playing so well and the fact that he's not is probably enhancing the fact that, oh my God, I'm not at the level that even Fred is. Like Fred on their Ole Gunnar Solskjaer occasionally had worldy games but he can never back it up, whereas Ten Hag's got that out of him. One thing as well to note, Raphael Varane did an interview with Jonathan Northcraft for the Sunday Times, and he was talking about how much he's enjoying it at United. And one thing that he decided to do at the very start of the season, he missed those first two games against Brighton and Brentford, and he took Lissandro Martinez aside and he says, look, we have to change the mentality around defending. So every time we make a, a great clearance or a block or just, just good defending, we should celebrate that. And you actually see that now every time. Waterford yeah, hurling style. Yesterday. Get a John Milan. Yesterday, Casemiro jockeyed the ball out of play when Jolinton yeah. took him on, and he gave a, a bit of that to the fans. And yeah. then behind them, you could see Varane and Martinez joining in. It's and that triangle well, has really changed the mentality of when those that, players. When that happened, Gary Neville was like, oh, I wasn't sure about the contract, but now give him all the money in the world. And it's like, he's <laughs> that, literally, he literally just like G'd the crowd up having, I, I understand that it's like emblematic of He's allowed to do that because he's such a good footballer. But it was a little bit, yeah, it's just, it's just cool. Yeah, don't mind that because he said to Solskjaer, where, where do you want your statue after that PSG game in March 2019? So don't mind that. He's getting uh, carried away. Very quickly. Uh, I'm guessing, besides Ireland, that we'll have Man United Love Fest. They're back and all that. Morning boys, says Paul McGee. I mean, are they not back? I mean, how could we not mark this? Are they, are they not back? Uh, it depends what back means. Back like means they are competing, back competing for the Champions League. Well, exactly. League. They are back. Sorry, they're back competing for the Champions League. They're back competing for the title. Uh, they're back as a relevant force. It's that next step as to what does, do Manchester City bring over the next two or three years as to whether Ten Hag can get to the next level. And maybe, well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, no, maybe uh, no, Qatar answers all that. No, I, I like, I, once they're in the Champions League next season, which we expect them to be, they they immediately become potential winners of the competition because we've seen teams who aren't very good reach semi-finals and finals in recent years. You saw a mediocre Spurs team under Pochettino who played very well that season in the Champions League, but were shocking in the league that year, reach the final. And, you know, who knows if Harry Kane had been fit, what, what might have happened. So I, I think that, like, this is them back to relevance assuming they finish in the top four yeah, and I actually think like they should really be using this as a springboard to go on a run and win six, seven, eight, nine games over the next month and a half two months and really put it up to Manchester City who are just a little bit flaky at the minute I enjoyed Roy Keane saying to Ten Hag afterwards you should resign after that dance you did with uh, Anthony and Lissandra Martinez and Ten Hag says absolutely not I'll do it again we have history the three of us not backing down to Roy. Keane's bit is um, the Brazilians aren't allowed to dance unless they're my Brazilians and then it's like oh, oh. Anyway. Keane was the comic foil yesterday on Sky Sports which I found interesting. Um, a new characteristic. Chopper's doing the Carabao Cup. Yeah. I hadn't been watching the pre and post match at, at any point so that was news to me and, I mean he's excellent. And Chopper does all yeah. the Carabao Cup. That's it, as I'm saying Cup. yeah but only the Carabao Cup. Only the Carabao Cup yeah. It's a random enough foul. It's all money. Well, just a, I'm a fan of Choppers, you know. Yeah, he's good. Great. Uh, Owen O'Connor says, does Ger still believe Newcastle will finish above Man United in the league? Does he owe Colm an apology? I think you'll remember this was uh, pre-Casemiro, pre-Anthony, pre-the investment, and um, they still had Cristiano on the team. So, if I mean, that team was not finishing anywhere. Ah, uh, no. Above. No, 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 no. Things changed mm. at the time. At the end of last season, at the end of last season, they changed their manager. I would love an apology. Uh, absolutely not. I, I was I was correct. The the um 
the, the Manchester United board are obviously on. I mean, this is a realistic possibility. Why is this going to happen? Let's let's change the manager. Apology. It's a form of it anyway. Uh, if you gave me the choice of Newbridge or Nowhere this morning, I'd choose Nowhere. Shocking stuff. Put them in the red, says Brian Dillon. And somebody else was like, I was at the Kildare game in Newbridge yesterday. Who's this? Andy Jennings. Good Lord, they were shocking. No idea if it's the management or they just don't have the players a bit of both, I think. Well, we'll talk about this with Anthony Moyles a little bit later on, but um, they haven't yet made the red because there's still <coughs> an outside chance that they won't be playing in the Talton Cup this year. Still a chance. Got to gotta beat Louth in RD next Sunday. Ah, chair bit of silverware, Talton Cup. Be nice, wouldn't it? Well, uh, that we were open top parade. We were talking about the um, Brady you know, family ham sponsoring springboard. Beautiful. Get Paul Paul Meskel to uh, you know get Do a Michael Sheen style pre-match speech. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, I think maybe you know maybe you could go out there and give your best. <laughs> wow, he's an actor. I I, I think he could up, up his could, game he, if he, it he was could, required. He could fake it. Whether I mean you know his, literally um, his gig. Yeah, but his his gig is also a very specific type of like. Disassociated, slightly uncertain. Not exactly what Kildare football need at the moment, you know? I think this lack of self belief in yourself is the problem for Kildare. Like, you've got one of the great Irish actors of the moment. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, you can't do much aside from just have the head down and talk a little bit like this. Like, you know, celebrate this man. You should be proud of him. Oh, we are. Kildare's finest. We are. I know Joey let you down and he didn't develop on the potential he thought you had, but there's no reason that Paul Mescal will do the same. You know what you both can be proud of? Ireland's win in Italy. Ireland. Ireland's call for the game yeah Ireland together now in fairness terrible yeah. song at the best of times so uh, it, it's hard to make a mess of it uh, but they've uh, I thought there was just a sound tech issue yeah. at first it's like but the, the, the sound is miles off here but the Irish players just decide we're going to roll on through we're going to show the Italians they cannot slow down our anthem uh, but they did well it worked Ireland flew out of the traps Thought they had a try after 1 minute 25 seconds when Lowe just lost control and then 45 seconds later they did have a try. It was a great game, wasn't it? Uh, Italians more than standing. little pat in the head for them. The Italians more than played their part in uh, the quality of this game because I thought when Ireland went over for that very early try uh, it was going to be a bit of a whooping uh, and they had bonus points secured after 35 minutes. Did they ever look like not winning the game? I'm quite sure. The difference between this and the first two matches is it felt against both Wales and France that when they had their period of dominance, Ireland defensively were exceptional. That you sort of felt a Wales score or a France score was coming and it never quite happened. Whereas Italy, uh, every time they went forward, there were some gaping holes, which is the one question mark coming out of this. A couple of players didn't do their chances a world of good. Well, like Bundiaki, five missed tackles. But Bundiaki hasn't played any rugby. Yeah. Like that's the problem for Bundy here. You get yourself sent off, you fall out with the coaching team, and suddenly you're not a- playing anymore. Aki was central to the four of Ireland's tries, and at the same time they seem to target him and attack Italy and outside centre because he his defensive skills left a lot to be desired. Like Canone was just ripping through him in the first twenty minutes, number eight. You gotta remember, Ireland are missing four of their five most important yeah, players. Yeah, 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 this yeah, happens yeah, yeah. At a, like, if this happens at a uh, World no. Cup, if you're missing No, 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 no. If you're no, missing Sexton, Furlong, Ringrose, Henshaw, adding well, Gibson Park and Byrne. If that happens in a World Cup, Ireland are getting knocked out of the World Cup. Well, that, I mean, that's 2015 all over again. It is exactly what happened in 2015. However, this was just the Italy game. Like those players might not have played. More than likely, they wouldn't have played. They would have made changes to the Italy game. If you look back, like, oh, this guy played in the Italy game. It's like, okay, and then we never really saw from them again. So we we have traditionally made that number of changes. So we should have expected something akin to this performance. And the the missing players, I don't think, would have played. 
Yeah. I don't think they were putting Sexton out into that game if Sexton was fully fit. It's funny how everybody is fully fit. That's what the post-match is like. Oh, yeah, uh, they're all fit. They're all, they're all training away. Tig's training away there. He'll be, ready the to, he'll be ready to go with the exception of Byrne. Yeah. But um, those players who were unavailable for that are all... like. I think if that was a World Cup quarter-final, Gary Ringrose was playing. Yeah. You know, like He was there in his tracksuit. He was there in the stadium. I think all those players are going to play against Scotland. But... Um, I mean, Nathan, you said it looked like Ireland were always going to win, but geez, that's 12 minutes to go, 27-20. Juan Ignacio Brex has the ball. Oh my God, he has three players on his outside and he kicks it. Yeah, not hey, a great... What's, what's he doing? Not a great decision. Not, like, I think there's actually loads of stuff to talk about. The, on ITV, they were talking about um, James Ryan's decision not to take the points. When the gap was seven, we kicked to the corner and then the line-out goes astray and you're like... So we already had our bonus points. We weren't going to get any more bonus points stuff. And... Um, yeah, I think we just didn't play a little bit of cup rugby in that second half, which is, again, just a, a captaincy. You've got to learn that and you've got to go through that. So I think, you know, James Ryan's was, captaincy... Was that, do you think that was James Ryan or was that premeditated? Because I don't know if you saw the clip of Andy Farrell coming uh, onto the side of the pitch on the 80th minute and shouting at Conor Murray, if we get the ball back... Keep playing. Keep playing. Yeah. So don't kick it out, even though the game is won. So Ireland are trying to put themselves in scenarios of keeping the ball in play as much as they possibly can. I know what you're maybe, saying. Maybe, you gotta, you got to win the game first and foremost. Yeah. I, as well as you try and learn some things along the way. But that they're confident enough that they're going to win the game. That actually we're going to test ourselves in these scenarios. Yeah, I think maybe fair enough. Though uh, when we are seven points up against France in a World Cup match, I would like them to just kick that ball over. Because we'll get the ball back. You know, take the, take the game to two scores. And that's also a different type of pressure. I, I, just, I think it's interesting to... Very quickly look at the player ratings. So the star have um, Bundiaki at seven, Ross Byrne at eight, Craig Casey at eight, uh, Jack Cohn at seven. The Irish Times. Oof, the Irish Times not going to make happy reading. Paper John, of record. John O'Sullivan in the Irish Times has James Lowe at six, Stuart McCluskey at six, Ooh. Bundiaki at six, Ross Byrne at six, Craig Casey at five. Five out of ten is fifty percent. Yeah, Irish Ford did not have the same performance. The Irish Times are, uh, are are trying to turn into the keep here. Yeah, right? they did not have the same performance. They're not all six. James Lowe got a nine in the star. I'm fairly sure. Uh, James Lowe, Mac Hansen gets a nine. James Lowe got a nine. Touched off for man of the match. A menace when given time and space and saved a try with a brilliant read and tackle at yeah. one point. No tries himself. Book uh, end of the match. His performance mirrored that of Ireland, says the Irish Times. Good in parts, kicking an ability to beat defenders, but he gambled several times. Defence not always successfully should have scored a couple of tries. Craig Casey gets a five. Uh, Craig Casey was grand. Were fine, yeah. Casey and Byrne were grand. Like they didn't massively stand out. Maybe they weren't been asked to stand out. It was Gwyn do a solid job, get the win, move on with our lives. Don't stink the joint out. So that we're having a debate for the next two weeks about whether we should bring Joey Carberry back in. Well, Ross Byrne followed Ronan O'Gara's advice: was don't try and stand out. Just do your do your thing, do your stuff. As John Jay would say to you, Nathan. Of a Thursday. Angela Bassett. Yes. Uh, Jack Conan says at five. Five out of ten for Jack Conan. He well, tried Conan to get the in. the one who's in a bit of trouble now? He tried to get in some of his trademark surges, but without the footwork, he was met by aggressive Ita- Italian tackling on the gain line and only managed to ride that initial contact on a couple of occasions. The two question marks. I can't find player ratings from I can't find player ratings for anybody else. Uh, just, uh, Damn it. Send in your player ratings, journalist of Ireland, and we'll uh, read them out. Uh, so, Aki, as you say, uh, ball in hand is doing wondrous things, Brilliant. but they're targeting him like does he get back in the Connacht side after this does he have another three months of not playing any rugby is he in a position heading into the warm up games where they're going let's try Jamie Osborne and his position for the world it feels very hard to see that scenario 
Like Jack Conan, I know the Munster fans were up in arms last week. This, what about our boy? What about our boy? But like Conan's a line, but he comes in, doesn't make a massive impact in a hotly contested part of the pitch. Is, is his position in the squad now under? I think he suffered when Doris stress. switched over to back to eight and was probably better than him in that little cameo than mm. Conan was beforehand. But again, Conan probably tried to go out of his way to impress so much because Doris has been exceptional in that position and he ain't displacing, he ain't displacing Doris. No, no one's displacing yeah. Doris really I think that's the, the point but we do need strength and depth like um, and it's you know is Conan going to get in ahead of Omani probably not but he'll certainly be on the bench and there'll be an opportunity for him um, like they've given Omani contract all the way through to the end of the following season so there's, it's not like one of those Keith Earls contracts to the end of the World Cup like oh, they're sticking with Omani he's their man at the moment and you know you, we, we know the team it'll be interesting Finley Bielham obviously went off injured which is probably an automatic return straight away for Tyke Furlong anyway and it, probably Furlong they were going to start because they can get as many minutes as him as they possibly can so we wait to see what the injury is to Beelham. Um but uh, uh, like I don't know it was uh, a per- kind of perfect in that you get your bonus points everybody's happy there's like uh, plenty for Italy to feel good about they stressed yeah. us in areas that we'll be like okay well, well we need to fix that and move on well, Paolo Garbisi made a huge difference to them. They looked genuinely really threatening. But I thought Ireland's attacking play was fantastic. I thought the, pa- the, the quickness of the passing in the first half, particularly to create all those tries, was, especially out wide, was just brilliant. But like the, I think the Aki storyline for me is the most interesting from this. Like Nathan was saying, does he go back into the Connacht side? I well, think he has to. I think, but you're, then he, he, I think he, you're ringing Connacht and you're saying he plays every minute that we want him to play. I think you're Andy Friend going... I'm sailing off in the sunset in three months. I'll do whatever the hell I want there. No, then you. Nobody's such a good option names. to have Aki when he's playing well. But then he just gives a try to Pierre Bruno in the end of the first half with a way overly ambitious pass. But the over the, over the ambition came from the fact that he was setting up so much good play in the first half. I also enjoyed at the end of the match when Aki castigated himself. <laughs> yeah. Stupid Bundy, stupid as he walked away. He's high standards for himself because he played so well at times and then was. Horrendous. A lot of uh, I think it's just they can't play together. That was the, the main thing coming out is that um, 10, 12 and 13, there's not enough pace. Uh, if you've got the three of them all in the team at the same time, you need to look at something different. So we'll come back to all this with Quinny in about five minutes time. Uh, moving on. In the amber, France. We put France in the amber really uh, like because amber is very difficult to put somebody in. I mean, they got a bonus point uh, in the last moment. The game was... Done and dusted, you would have said after 10 minutes until their stupid ill-discipline cost them a red card. And that's the one thing that would make you think that perhaps there's just still a little bit of French France about this France team. Like, there's still a little bit of which French side are going to show up, which they completely obliterated by putting the kids in the team four years ago, giving them all this time to build up to it, discovering that they have the best player in the world at number nine and... Um, massive strength in depth uh, they have like every rugby team got players from all around the world who are physical specimens that uh, are maybe not necessarily um, French by birth and you know we're, we do the same thing so that's, that's just the, the way the game works but they look like they had everything ready and now just as the moment comes just as the moment comes it looks a little bit like uh, you can get at this French team you're, you're feeling a full-on French crisis is coming in the weeks leading up to the World Cup? Well, I think that there's a possibility that France blows a game they should win. I well, think they're playing New Zealand in the opening game of the tournament. I, they go, they get whipped in that, suddenly it is a full... Like Joe full Schmidt's New Zealand. Crisis. Do you think Joe Schmidt's watching that game going, oh, this is terrible, France are going to hockey us. He's looking at that going, wow, look at what Scotland are doing to you lads. 
like as hot and cold as France were in that game and have been for the three matches so far did they not come up against the red hot Finn Russell like who, who also threw them a yeah but when he was again a bit like he was six. kind of uh, Aki plus like because yeah look Finn Russell I, I understand the intercept pass for the try but still jeez when he was on form his kicking what are we going to do with Finn passing. Russell next, next time out it's obviously fortnight away um, but yeah Finn Russell the challenge of Finn Russell is going to be very very important for us uh, next time out and it's going to be and at the World Cup interesting to see what to do yeah I mean <laughs> if the draw was being made for the World Cup now Scotland would be like seeded much higher than they are yeah well even the dynamic of how the games play out so Ireland have their first two matches then they play France and then we were looking and going well then there's a week off then you've got a two week break before Scotland so you're bringing a few lads back in before we head into the knockout stages now you're thinking god damn it we, the, yeah, if, we need full strength of Scotland well there's a, a possibility week, Scotland, seven days before World Cup quarterfinal is it possible Scotland beat the Springboks it really is you know mm. um, like France is a like a very well organised country with the TGV where you can basically get across it they could have just said you're going to have your base in Marseille you're going to have your base in Bordeaux you're going to have your base in Paris you're going to have your base in Toulouse and we'll tell you like now or we'll tell you in the summer who's in your group it would have been really easy to organise this from a logistical perspective apparently apparently we don't still have our hotels all booked because the hotels that have been offered us are shite like that's how crap this organisation in the French World Cup is. Remember, this is the World Cup that we should be hosting. Where are we, where, where are we staying? Uh, but we should stay in that nice palace in Versailles where we stayed during Euro 2016. Hey, you should... Uh, you should That's the, sort the that Trianon out. Palace. Beautiful place. No. no. Well, we, sorry, we didn't stay in the palace. We stayed in an apartment. Uh, you did make it sound like we stayed in the sorry, palace. Sorry, sorry. The, the Irish players stayed in the palace. We weren't allowed to uh, run away there. Near the uh, palace. We stayed in a, uh, a, a two-bedroom apartment where the... Uh, to get to the toilet, you had to walk over Adrian Barry's bed. So it wasn't quite the same <laughs> level of glamour. What an intro to his story. And where, uh, where our studio was outside the other bedroom door. So it wasn't... Um, yeah, but listen, hey, we got on with it. We took one for the team. Um, so just before we move on from the rugby for now, can someone out there answer me, why do half of the teams in this year's Six Nations have their names in the back of their jerseys and the other half don't? So Scotland, England and Italy have the names of the players in the back. The rest don't. Is this uh, why was it not a collective decision by the Six Nations to let all do it or none of us do it? I personally think it's a good addition. Uh, is it something to do with Netflix and Alicadu and that kind of thing? I don't know. Um, they're also not very well put on their jerseys. They're Looks like a bit amateur. No. Is the the tiny little, isn't great. It's yeah. like uh, it's like if the GA decided to finally put names that to be like, what, can I just get the magnifying glass in there? Which which of the brothers is that? It's like if your Sunday League team decided to do it for their big cup final of the year. But I like the idea of it. I mean, like you're thinking, if if you have a player associated with a number, sales increase. It's a no-brainer. You have another all-American sports do it. Football does it. I think it's something that uh, rugby could incorporate. But I think it's strange that half do and half don't. Yeah, either all do all it right. or don't do it. Let's get to the red. Tyrone. Let me tell you a couple of things about Tyrone. Now, just tell us something about Mayo. Come on. It's hard to believe what has happened to Tyrone in such a short space of time. They had a disastrous championship last year, but in the county, the players and management were largely given a free pass. That was unusual for Tyrone, where supporters can often go in hard on the team. But maybe there was a feeling they pulled off a huge All-Ireland against the Oz in 2021. Give them a bit of slack. I thought the players would go back to their clubs and then come back re-energised for this season. No sign of that so far. I do not remember ever seeing a Tyrone team so disorganised and unstructured in defence. This isn't Tyrone. This isn't the way we are as a county. Ooh, who's that? Words of Sean Kavanagh. Sean Kavanagh. Not holding back. 
I mean, they got a free pass because they were all out of champions. You know, and they've actually delivered the Holy Grail at a, a at a time when this Dublin and Kerry teams were still around. Like, maybe it's the last thing of the Dublin team, but they still they were still there. And that Kerry team, it turns out, are uh, on the verge of being absolutely fantastic. So felt a bit shambolic on Saturday night against Mayo. Their defeats are bad defeats at the moment. Even you go back to the championship last year, the defeats to Derry and Armagh, like, they don't show anything of the fight of All-Ireland champions at all and you look at them and listen this is a side who suffered the ultimate humiliation against Kerry the year they went on to win the All-Ireland so they've been there they know how to uh, set themselves on the road to return but yeah there's no spark to them whatsoever you know conceding four goals to Mayo they hadn't lost in Castlebar in 30 years I'm not sure if that stat is particularly relevant uh, in too many ways but four goals against Mayo three goals against Roscommon scrapping to stay in Division 1 yeah and Sean Kavanagh absolutely ripping you to pieces in the paper this morning ok ok we'll come back to this a little bit later on with Moisey but come on give us give us a little you're, you're itching here to tell us the truth the truth about that game is that we've seen the All-Ireland Champions in action hand out Sam Maguire now the curse is over I'm not getting quoted in any of this so it can come back to bite me in the ass I think Mayo have been good have been very good they're probably playing with the personality of their manager and that there's a freedom to what they're doing and sort of a joy and willing to express their true footballing self but they got Tyrone on a very bad day they got Kerry on a very bad day coincidentally and everybody has a bad day against Mayo we're able to take full advantage of that but I mean look there's all joking aside you must be pretty excited about what you're seeing I think I'm excited because there's always a fear that Mayo are going to go over a cliff edge at some stage and it turns out <laughs> that's not happening so like, but they always the do go over a cliff years, edge is the problem at, well, at, at some point at there's some like point. a missed penalty well, in all when you look or at two goals or like, whatever Lee Keegan retires Ushin Mullen is gone and that comes off the back of half a dozen of their greatest ever players stepping away over the last couple of years and you think well this is the end of the golden generation but then a new crop of players come through and you'd have to assume that the general standard of strength and conditioning and of quality that's needed to get into that squad over the last decade means that the levels are still very, very high and are going to be better than better than most. Well, the goals they scored. Well, the goals, the the goal from Enda Hessian. Like, have you have you seen a goal ah, like that from a player wearing number shoulder. four? Like this guy's oh, a cornerback. One two. This guy's a cornerback. Uh, it was yeah ridiculous. Um, Aidan O'Shea has is having his best league campaign in a long, long time. Like the quality of his pass Jeremy Connolly had made that pass Jeremy Connolly had made that pass we for James Carr spinning this like oh it's just a thing of beauty uh, yeah they're, they're scoring a lot of goals and there's there's probably a bit more experience in some of these players like Enda Hessian I played in the All-Ireland finally played the second half full second half in 2021 played almost all the game against Dublin in the semi-final so while some of these names are quite new they do have a bit of experience in the bank. Tommy Conroy's back, came off the bench, first time in a year. Obviously, you know, he was huge in that semi-final win against Dublin back in 21. Uh, 12 different scorers. So there's a lot There's a lot going on. They're probably going to find themselves in a, in a league final, whether they like it or not. Uh, then they're out again against Roscommon. We, ju- we just don't know with the way the season is set up this year as to how it's all going to work out. And, you know, did Kevin McStay go in and go, you know, I need to rejuvenate this group. We want to start well. I know this is a county that uh, likes a bit of hype, likes a bit of momentum, right. and that we just become this unstoppable thing until it suddenly comes to a grinding halt in a round-robin series. Ah, sure, but, look, it's one of these years you're going to get over the line. It may as well be this year. 
Every, everybody's a believer. Last one's Chelsea. We're, we're not doing any uh, significant time here in Chelsea, but like, what, what is there to say? Just sack them and be done with it. I thought like they've got to ride this out, but they can't now. It's, it's becoming uh, increasingly impossible to defend Graham Potter um, and keep him in a job. I, I still think it's an impossible job where he is at the moment, but you know, no wins in six. Three goals in ten matches. Yeah, one uh, shot and target by the 70th minute. Classic. He was very, very honest, obviously, in his pre-match press conference. Arguably too honest for a manager in that position where people don't appreciate, uh, you know, being told how hard the gig is, where he spoke about, you know, his family receiving death threats and um, the struggles he was having with his mental health, trying to deal with all the pressure he was under. But (sighs) the results, the results just aren't good enough. I still, like, the problem with the goals is a problem that was there at Brighton. You look at Brighton the last couple of years, like Neil Mopé was their top scorer. He didn't hit double yeah. figures in either season. They never, they played a very nice brand of football. But even at Brighton, we would say they're not getting the results that they should because they're not scoring enough goals. Now, they don't have a striker. They're still playing with Kai Havertz up front. Well, it's his choice to keep Aubameyang out. Well, Aubameyang's well, Aubameyang shite. Aubameyang, yeah, you keep yeah, talking about him. He's brutal. He's terrible. He's there. He's available. But he's, he's shite. Uh, he's been, yeah, he's been terrible for four seasons. They, they shouldn't have play him. nobody to score a goal. But it doesn't they matter. You can't, you can't go to him because that's like... Nobody. Okay, so you're, the answer to that is to pick the toxic player who's been terrible for uh, like literally three and a half years. That's not an answer. That's no. like that bringing Look, him off the bench. He had half a season at Barcelona, but when he's played this year, he has been Oh, he's been he's been awful. Now, maybe there's a different way he has to look at it. When you have Joao Felix, Raheem Sterling, Mudrick has come in and aside from the little cameo on his debut against Liverpool, hasn't done a huge amount, but maybe you have to find a way of getting one of them to score some goals because it doesn't look like Havertz is ever going to be the answer. Probably not helped with what's going on with Mason Mount, who's, you know, fallen off a cliff edge since the yeah. World Cup as well, is out of contract in the summer. But there are bits in every game where you look at them and go, they're starting to get this together. Like, uh, defensively uh, and in midfield, they actually are starting to look like a decent uh, it was classic side, pattern. it just breaks down in the final third. And it, yeah, clearly, if this was the Abramovich era, he's yeah. not even here. He's Enzo gone. Fernandez he's gone looks ago, very good. Joe Felix looks good. But they, just, they don't look like a goal-scoring threat at all. They've won one away game um, since... The last time they won away was October 16th, Villa Park. All right, that, like, he's done. Does that even count? 11 minutes past 8 this morning. That is uh, this week's episode of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. 14 minutes past 8. Alan Quillen is with us this morning. Alan, another uh, win for Ireland. And we're being picky, as we should be, I suppose. We, you know, best team in the world. So you got to um, gotta pick, pick the nets from a performance like that. But all in all, I think Andy Farrell's going to be absolutely delighted. Yeah, he is. I think, um, obviously, you could look at it... Um it been really scary there, probably around six, in the mid sixties. Uh, um, I think it was sixty third or fourth minute, where you know Rossborn has to kick a penalty to to stretch it out to seven. It was twenty four twenty, but overall, what didn't surprise me in any way that the Italians played the way they played. I said it last week, and it wasn't just kind of giving it lip service. I think you know they're they're improved dramatically. I think their attack is so much better. Um, some very da- dangerous players, and even their back row is is there's a great balance to that. And they're three brilliant players: Canone and Negri and and Lamaro, the captain. So they have a good side, you know, and a skillful side as well. So and they proved that it wasn't a fluke. The evidence is there with them beating Wales last year, beating Australia in November, 
um, the performance against France in the first game. So it's not as if this has just been a yeah. fluke. We've and seen this coming a little bit. And, and they uh, came back from an early try from us as well. There wasn't a sense, oh, that's it, it's game over. Whereas in the, previous years, we want to score to try that early and like, okay, this game is going to... You kick on a little bit and it's, it's, it's always a tougher game. It always has been because you're expected to win handsomely and, and if you don't, then it's seen as, as disappointing. I think people realise that this is different um, and that they're a very attacking, attack-minded side. They don't just bring the kind of passion and, and gusto and all that stuff. They now can attack. And you saw the way they were moving the ball in their back line and um, Garbisi being back helped them as well. So um, I think bar the, the period when it was 24-20 and then even when it was 27-20, they had a brilliant chance in the 68 minute if they put it through the hands. They Ignacio Brex did this crazy cut crossfield kick. Yeah, um, didn't make any sense. Yeah, the second row Rutza, if it bounces up and he scores, well then it's fine. But he was fuming that it wasn't put through the hands. They had Ireland stretched there a little bit. So I think when Andy Farr looks back, very much relieved and happy. I think when Mac Hansen scores a try near the, you know, to to give him a bit of comfort, I think they're able to relax a small bit. But I didn't sense any sort of panic in the Irish side either when it was quite close, which was a good sign. And realistically, I think when Bruno gets the intercept just before half time, that gives them a real kind of sense of we're, we this is different now and they get in at half time and they're, they're only a score behind so a couple of things obviously Ireland would look at and would be much like to be much better at they yeah. missed 24 tackles um, but you know there's a number of players missing you're 9 10 12 13 are four guys that are turns pro- out they're important <laughs> Yeah, the ones that are not there are, are very important, but that's valuable experience for them. Um, and maybe the Gary Ringrose situation, he's now become very dependable, particularly defensively. Yeah. What's the what's the depth chart now, like in Andy Farrell's head? Because we we haven't had a look at Osborne. This might have been an opportunity for them. They, they sent him away. Hume's form, is, it appears, nowhere near the Ireland selection where... There was a clamour to get him into the team and then he just injury robbed him of an opportunity. And The injury for James Hume last um, summer didn't help and, and it took him a bit of time to come back. Then Ulster, his team are struggling so you can't rule James Hume out uh, from being a contender to be a 13. Um, Bundyaki has very little rugby played and that showed a little bit on Saturday. Yeah. And you can't... like I, I know what this is like. It's Sometimes it's really difficult when you're out... The more matches you play, the sharper everything becomes. And then, because you're moved out to a 13 slot, which is so much more difficult to defend there, um, you know, he looked a little bit, he looked like he was blowing at times, and that's fully understandable. Even though then you give Bundyaki with the ball, comes up with some big moments and some really great carries, and uh, for the James Ryan try, he makes that really, you know what I mean? Um, Hugo Keenan's is he's 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 involved as well with the pass, lovely pass to to Van der Fleer. So, um, you know, there's a few situ issues there that that need to be addressed. And and again, it's a great learning curve that that you know they can look at. Anton Frisch, and I've said this, is probably the most like for like at the moment. Uh, but he hasn't been in the yeah. setup and it's, the system, so maybe it's too late now. I don't know. You, uh, you, you couldn't, certainly be called you couldn't say it. it's too late that a guy can come into it. He's a very good player, Anton Frisch. Yeah. 
He's You'll be calling him into all the squads from now on to see... Well, I would think so, yeah. Well, I like, think they're very much aware he was on that Emerging Ireland tour. But I tell you, if you watch Anton Frisch playing for Munster and even in Europe, super player, some unbelievable moments. And he's 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 very much like Ringrose in the way he runs and the evasion and the pace that he has. He's a very physical player as well. Um, Robbie Henshaw can play a 13 for sure and he would be a better 13 than Bundy. Bundy is a outstanding 12 yeah. um, who had to play in that position. I was just looking it up there, sorry. Ulster had Luke Marshall at 13 in their win against Sharks so I don't know if at he was weekend, injured at the moment yeah. again or, but he wasn't... Um, yeah, he. I think he is injured again, James Hume. Does Aki need to sort out whatever the situation of Connacht is between now and the end of so. the season or does it matter because they'll have three warm-up games before the World Cup? I would imagine so, Nathan. I think uh, for everyone's interests, I think whatever situation that was there, disagreement or misunderstanding, or if maybe there was none, um, maybe it was just a form thing or whatever, you would like to, I'm sure Connacht fans would like to have it put to bed and uh, get some sort of a, a feel about what the plan is going forward. Because he is a brilliant player. He's 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 a game changer at the top level when he's fit, healthy and well. Um, they obviously love we're him. very lucky to have him. They obviously love him because they put him in the squad and the, on the team, on the bench, even when he wasn't playing for Connacht. So they've obviously made that work. Yeah, and you make a point about Jamie Osborne. I think Andy Farrell's problem here was Bundyaki needing game time and Stuart McCluskey getting a kind of a deserving shot or run at playing on the, the top team in, in these big games. He got it in November and got injured in the first one. Um, so that's probably what went against Jamie Osborne. But um, you don't have to play for Ireland to suddenly go and play at a World Cup. There's certain guys that might just go into the team and in, in, at the World Cup ideally you would like that experience but it's not a necessity that you have ha- had to have played if you're a very good player um, and you've you've been involved in squads I think the transition is easier um, so I don't know if Anton Frisch was up training with Ireland or one of the players called in to train I don't I didn't hear that he was but right. I would imagine he will be over the summer period on an extended squad because he's too good a player not to look at him anyway and I know you know France have I mean trying to get him to go back yeah um, but Gary it just goes to show how important and how much of a player Gary Ringrose is how good he is yeah um, it's an incredibly difficult position and Drico always said that I'm sure you'll ask him later in the week it's probably one of the hardest positions um, ask Dennis Leamy about it he was moved at one stage, um, around 2005-06 season, around that time, we had uh, Axel, myself and Jim Williams in the back row. And then you had Dennis Leamy and David Wallace. And you're thinking, how do I get Dennis Leamy and David Wallace on the field as well? Well, we put Wally on the wing and we put Leamy as a 13. And that happened in, in a few games, you know. And In the middle of a game? or like a No, they started uh, league games, yeah. Hey, right. Yeah, Wally was on the wing at one stage and it was... Uh, he was so fast, but like, there's more to it than just being fast. Um, Dennis Leamy, I remember being a 13, and I'd won- I, I can't remember who we played. Maybe it was the Scarlet's down in Cork, and just going, someone ran this hard line, and Dennis was kind of like, what's after happening here? And I remember talking to him after the game, and he's going, Jesus, I'm no more of that spot. It's, you don't know where <laughs> fellas are coming at, whether they go in, out, go straight up, hard on someone. 
Um, so it's a very difficult position to train, uh, to, to defend. Um, and, you know, obviously Gary Ringrose does it brilliantly and he's grown so much and he's so consistent. It is funny how in games like this where someone isn't there, you you miss them more. Um, there's been a mixed response to Casey and Byrne. What's your assessment? Uh, Very valuable for them. And it wasn't, it was a little bit disjointed at times and chaotic. And, and then Italy were good. So I think they, they, they played well, but not brilliant. They didn't have this... Um, situation where the, everybody's going wow what a performance but um, I think they both played well and be very valuable for them Rossburn a few weeks ago we were all talking about how brilliant it was that he can come on for 30 minutes and, and um, do really well in a, in, in a big situation against France when it was a crucial period of the game and stuff so they both did well I would like to see Rossburn's kicking game out of hand um, you know, going for like at one stage for for the Italian try, the first one, I think it was a poor clearance from Ross Bourne out of his own twenty-two. Um, got no distance on the ball for a big fella, and it was an end over end kick. Italy launch an attack and eventually a score in the corner. So, um, James Lowe is a great asset to have because he can go at that massive distance down the field and. Essentially, in a World Cup, their cup—it's cup rugby. Sometimes you and to have that ability to kick really, really long, um, like Ben Healy, like his ability to just spiral it from one twenty-two to the other and find grass. And I think, um, yeah. So Rossborn did well. I think there's obviously still the zip and the the way Sexton can attack the line is still. At a different level, that's the thing, isn't it? That like our if if our benchmark is Sexton, we're never going to get to the benchmark. What we need is somebody who is seven tenths of of Sexton, but consistent the whole way through. And it's the same with Casey. Is that like he's a different player, Ross Bourne. The one that can do potentially the Sexton stuff is Crowley, because he's 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 more of a runner than Ross Bourne. That's not. Ross Bourne's strengths are different and he's very much composed and he's a, he's a very talented out half and, and you know he does brilliantly with Leinster with pace and tempo but if you're nitpicking Crowley is the one but then is Crowley as composed in a game when your forwards are doing well and you, you kind of give that armchair right to your halfbacks um, We so, don't know yet do we? Yeah we don't know so it was a bit disjointed the other day and if you were to rate all the Irish players you're, you're kind of giving them six sevens you're, you're kind of hard to go eight nines you know you're, what I mean you're not, you're not giving him a five uh, Casey got a five and um, Ross Brown got a six from the Irish Times is there anyone it's harsh I think I think it's harsh I would say was there anyone then looking ahead to Scotland that really put their hand up for well Andy the Farrell? one that stands out for me without going thinking about it too much is Ryan Baird off the bench I just think this guy's an incredible athlete um and I think with pace and tempo, the way the game has gone now, the way Scotland play, the way Ireland want to play, I think you can add so much to your to your overall t- attack, your cover around the field. Um, is he in instead of Henderson? Henderson's he's putting pre- he's he, Henderson's he, grand, right? Yeah, like you know, no no mistakes, but no um, no sense of explosion the way when Henderson was at his very best, you know, breaking into the team early in his career and maybe that's just because that's how life is you get 80 caps and we're like oh we know exactly what you can do Ryan Baird has whatever 10 caps and it's like oh 
Baird might be this explosive. If you look at the enthusiasm, the energy, the, the small details that Ireland have become so good at, their clean out, their their urgency to get to breakdowns, their support player and attack, all that kind of stuff would indicate that someone like Ryan Bourne can only add to that kind of stuff because he's so fit, he's so athletic. If you think then of the nitty-gritty winning malls, hard yards, um, experience, you're thinking, yeah, Ian Henderson can yeah. do really... So it depends what, what the, the detail when they break it down and the work rate and the There's the, a role for both the of them speed. in the World Cup squad, for sure. Of course, yeah. But I think Ryan Baird um, is someone that I'm a big fan of and I think he's... He's someone that can really add to that attack. But then if you're have if you're in Murrayfield in two weeks on Sunday and the weather is poor and it's wet and it's windy, you know, yeah. that's not saying he can't be physical, but we don't we, we probably need to see it, you know. So I think it's worth taking a chance with him and he potentially probably deserves a start. Um in the second row. Yeah. Okay. And then the back row, Peter Marty comes straight back in and Conan back to the bench. Is that just You would think so. Um that um, again it's a tough game for the four or five players and the changes that were made it's one of those ones where you're kind of banging your fist a little bit after saying it's a shame it's not a 20-25 point win and we've we, the game opened up and it was lovely scoring three tries at the end and Italy were tough but we got yeah. loads of touches of the ball they got no time no space like the impact tackles out of the Italians were smashing Irish players in the game line and that's why it's really beneficial to Ireland because I think they for the first time in this championship they had to play with slow ball at times and behind the gain line so that would be very beneficial to them I thought they needed to kick better at times you know out of hand as I said not just Ross Byrne but tactically we could have added some more kicks in there um, tactical kicks not just thumping it away for, for the sake of it Yeah. Um, but um just very briefly on this because I don't want to labour too much but we didn't go for points when we had a penalty right in front of the goals that would have taken it from 7 to 10 points we went kicked to the corner and lost the line out and just put ourselves under a bit of pressure it strikes me that like Sexton sometimes just goes up and goes I'll take the points and we're like oh he never takes the points but then actually he does sometimes if um, if he'd been captain would he have done that because we already this is at the start of the second half we've got the four tries bonus there's just a, this is a captaincy question really Um James Ryan needs to learn these things they were talking about it on ITV afterwards just take the points spread the gap to yeah time. of course when you when you when you see how 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 the game unfolded and it's back to seven points back to four points yes you're then saying yeah but in the go, moment though you go back to New Zealand they're kicking to the corner when there's kickable penalties because they yeah. they back themselves and I think if you have there was no bonus points on offer against New Zealand though you wanted to win that game and crush them and like with Italy you have the bonus point, yeah, and it's a relevant, um, it's a relevant point you make that um, they probably should have kicked for the points. Yeah, Ross Bourne has to kick because it's twenty four twenty on sixty third minute, and um, that's non negotiable there. Yeah, but I think Paul O'Connell will be probably saying, "Well, why did you lose the line out?" Of he'll, be, he'll be focused on who missed their lift, was the throw right or wrong. Yeah. So, um, and also Kelleher now slightly ahead of Dan Sheehan. They're two wonderful players. Look, you're, it's, it's you're one A and hairs. one B, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, I, I just think it's brilliant that Ronan Keller, if you're talking about players who who kind of stood out, like he could have got three or four turnovers in that game. He was so alert. Um, he's just brilliant at the breakdown and he runs so hard and scrum, he's scrummaging is brilliant as well. So 
it's incredible two of those guys fit um, impact off the bench if one of the other is coming off the bench it's just it's brilliant and it's um, I think it's brilliant to have him back and have him fit fit and, and well again okay all right, have we time for one quick uh, France? What's the story? Are they? Are, is there a little, like a little, Scotland were good, right? But France's in discipline allowed ill discipline allowed them back into the game with the red card, and then they just I don't know. Scot- I've just been talking about France kind of coming off a peak a little bit, maybe. Um, I think Scotland were outstanding, and they played with great pace, tempo, the attack. Um, France are very physical, and I still think they're laborious at times in what they do they kick a lot um, but you know Scotland just held on to the ball so well and if you build multi, multi-phase against it's always been the case they're a very powerful side you have to double up sometimes in a tackle when Willem says Carrion and Aldrich and uh, Marshawn and these guys because they're very physical players but Scotland did that I think we should be more concerned about what Scotland are doing here um, obviously because we played them next yeah. um, they That's can take a, a lot it was a brilliant performance from Scotland and it was a brilliant match to watch okay. and if you consider Wales England on Saturday was okay. punishing to do it you know thir- yeah. uh, England kicked the ball 38 times Wales 34 yeah uh, not a classic under the roof uh, before we go we should just mark the passing of, of Tom Tierney and obviously send our condolences to his family you were a teammate and it must have really devastated the squad because this obviously unfortunately is going to be a familiar territory for you guys yeah it's just another shock I think um, with what happened Tom um, people are it's hard to believe when you're that young that that can happen and um, obviously after Axel a number of years ago as well and it's just another hammer blow to people who are close um, and involved with Tom and he was coaching that the day before in Munster uh, with on, on the field with the academy and um, the one thing that everybody you hear saying now is how funny Tom was, how much of a character he was. I even listened to some of the English Ben Kay at the weekend when he, from Tom's time at Leicester. He was a brilliant character. Every time you, you'd meet Tom, there's a little bit of a joke or fun. It's devastating, really, and you know it's it's such a shock and it's hard to process it again. And um, obviously for Mary and the kids and and his extended family, it's just it's hard to comprehend what's happened again. All right, we'll, we'll leave it there. And as I said, we send our condolences to the Tierney family and to you guys and all your teammates as well and everybody who's uh, come in contact with him. That is definitely the story that is emerging of uh, Tom Tierney as a man. A reminder that we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. If you want to get in touch with us, you can text the show 087-9180-180. That's the WhatsApp number. Or you can get us at Off the Ball AM on Twitter. Turning our attention to football, Andy Mitten joins us to talk to us about the first trophy of the Eric Ten Hag era. Andy, it feels like it is the first of uh, a new era. Um, what was what was your what's your immediate feelings this morning when you wake up? Oh, absolutely shattered I am because I've not had enough sleep and I've uh, got to get a lot of work done. But I'm buzzing, I'm smiling because it's the first trophy for six years for Manchester United. It was a great day at Wembley yesterday and pretty comfortable actually for Manchester United. Even though Newcastle United, I thought played well and had most of the possession, but wasn't just yesterday, beating Barcelona on Thursday night. February's been a superb month for Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag is overachieving. I said at the start of this season that a top four finish and a trophy would be success for this season. And while Manchester United are far from confirmed in the top four, the team are really well placed in the league and have won a trophy. It's been a while 
and not something that Manchester United fans take for granted. Tickets were like hen's teeth for Wembley yesterday. They were going for well over four figures. About 40,000 Manchester United fans travelled down to London. The mood was great and people were just saying we missed these trips to Wembley because there was a time where maybe there was a bit of Wembley fatigue. It was, oh no, not another trip to Wembley. And that sounds horribly spoiled because Manchester United fans were spoiled. But with COVID and with a teams who've not been vintage Manchester United sides, trips have been far, far fewer. And the last trip was a defeat in the FA Cup final to Chelsea in 2018. There was a defeat in 2021 in that Europa League final to um, Villarreal. So to actually win a trophy, it vindicates the hard work that Eric Ten Hag, his staff, his players are doing. It, it, it'll give them a real lift. People might sneer and say it's only the League Cup. Well, it was only the League Cup in 2006 and Manchester United built on that, won the league Premier League a year later were European champions um, a year after that and world champions as well. I'm not saying that's going to happen this time, uh, but Manchester United are in a really good place at the moment. And it feels like a, a buzz to be a Manchester United fan. I was speaking to loads and loads of people yesterday. You can just feel it. And been some pretty tough times in the last five, six, seven, eight years as a Manchester United fan. I'm sure most football fans will not be getting out there violins to say oh no poor Manchester United but you support your team your team's your team and success and and failure is all relative it felt brilliant Andy it is remarkable how quickly Ten Hag has been able to get this side to a high level of consistency you're going into yesterday's game and it almost went exactly as predicted you know that De Gea is going to make a couple of vital saves. You expect Martinez and Varane to have important interventions at crucial moments of the game, for Casemiro to run the show midfield, to Rashford to turn up at the big moments. Like, that's not something anyone was taking for granted six months ago. Not at all. The, the players that you mentioned, I mean, Casemiro um, is one of the best midfielders in the world. and I saw that with Madrid. Everyone saw it. But there were some Manchester United fans saying, he won't come. Madrid won't sell him. He's coming for a final payday. Absolute nonsense. Probably the team's most important player. It links back up with Rafael Varane. They won everything at Real Madrid. And when you buy players like that, you hope, pretty much guaranteed that they're going to do well. But Manchester United fans have been scarred by world-class players coming and being flops. Angel Di Maria, Bastian Schweinsteiger, Radamel Falcao, for various different reasons. Alexis Sanchez. But the recruitment has improved a lot. You said Marcus Rashford, he's been fantastic this season. It's his best season. I spoke to him pre-season in Australia and he, he talks about the importance of having a proper pre-season. But the man who deserves the most credit is the manager. Uh, he's got a really good staff around him, but he's a disciplinarian, he's decisive, he's a tactician, he's humorous, and yet he's a people person as well. And he's overachieving at the moment. Uh, Manchester United in this competition tend to be knocked out by Manchester City, who've dominated the competition. So when they went out, not that United would have been too scared because United beat City only uh, last month. It boded well for the, the game against Newcastle. Newcastle were excellent at Old Trafford in October, and I think they're a good team, but the the results have dropped a little bit in the last month, whereas Manchester United's been really good that that win against Barcelona really lifted the players 
there's a big buzz around Old Trafford. So they've carried that momentum forward and hopefully they continue to do that for the rest of, of this season. They're still in the FA Cup, still in the Europa League. And having not sat Barcelona, you've got to say Manchester United will be the favourites or along with Arsenal, the favourites for that competition. So two more trophies still to play for. I wouldn't say a third with the Premier League, but then I've just brought it up as well. I know. I mean, like, I think the morning after a cup final where you've won, you're allowed to daydream a little bit about how the rest of the season might go, particularly because there's just there's plenty for Manchester City to do for the rest of the season. There's plenty for Arsenal to do for the rest of the season for them both not to be just like, oh yeah, we're guaranteed to be able to replicate the form week in, week out between now and the end of the year. Um, let, let's just talk about Ten Hag because I, I think... Um, I do wonder if all that recruitment of those world-class players you spoke about was actually bad or if just the conditions at the club were always wrong when they arrived. And that that's the difference, is that this manager and his team have managed to put together processes, systems, a culture really, really quickly that is allowing players who, you know, weren't very good to emerge as actually really useful squad players and players who were really good to find their best form. It's remarkable how it's kind of Klopp-esque at the moment where almost everything he's touching is working. Yeah. And he knows there's still a long way to go, by the way. He, he knows that he needs two, three, four players. But he did it very quickly. He, he did it within weeks. He sat down with all of his staff and told them exactly what I wanted from them in a in a three hour meeting, and all the early indications I got were really positive. So lots multiple people talking to me, and they're all saying pretty much the same thing. And, and trust me, I was not getting that with the previous manager. And my job is to reflect the, the truth. The truth can be very subjective in football. It's not to tell Manchester United fans what they want to hear. You've got to tell them what's going on. You've got to give insight. Everything I've heard about him, and we've seen his actions publicly, he's got it right. He got it right with Cristiano Ronaldo. He got it right dropping players like Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire who weren't performing. Sounds really simple. It looks like he's got it right with Jadon Sancho, how he's treated him. So to do this in his first season, managing in a new country, in a, a language which isn't his first language, is a major achievement. And he's hungry for more. He knows that one League Cup will not be his legacy at Manchester United. He was staff around him. He's got a really good mixture there between youth and experience, drawn from a diverse background, from from Japan, from South Africa, from Steve McLaren, an old hand who brings humour and know-how of what it's like to be in the Premier League. Mitchell van der Gaag is his assistant. I just hear good things about him as well. The football's good, which is why Manchester United went for him. But going for a top manager doesn't give you any guarantees. Manchester United hoped that Louis van Gaal would work, that Jose Mourinho would work. And for various reasons, that they didn't, although both of them won trophies. But will they be remembered as successful Manchester United managers? Well, probably not. They absolutely had the moments. And Eric Ten Hag's having his moment now. But I sense he's building something much more more solid for the future. There's a game in October when United went to Chelsea and attacked them. I've not seen that for years. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had some great moments, got the team to second in the Premier League, played some really good football. But when he played against the best teams, he was going off the counter-attack. And I know against Newcastle United, Manchester United were most effective on the counter-attack. 
But I sense a much more solid base being built. Casimiro is the best midfielder that club has had for years. For United then to take the next step and challenge for titles on a regular basis, challenge for the Champions League again, you'd expect they're going to go in and invest during the summer and maybe, depending on the takeover, uh, there is uh, an infinite amount of money for them to go and spend uh, this coming summer. I was saying earlier, and I'm getting hammered by Manchester United supporters online, I see, uh, for suggesting that one of the players who they may look at is Bruno Fernandes, who I've sort of felt has not been as consistent as you would expect for a player of his quality and reputation this season. Even yesterday, it felt he had, a, he had an alright game, but wasn't one of the standout players on the pitch. What are the areas that you think United will look at over the course of the summer to really go and invest in heavily? And, you know, is Bruno Fernandes one of those players that, that there's still quite a bit of room that Ten Hag can get more out of him? Yeah, he was admonishing yesterday from the from the side, and I don't know exactly what he was saying, but it seemed to be about his positioning. I think Bruno Fernandes has had a good season. Um, he takes risks because he wants the rewards from those risks. But I think he's a top, top player. I think he'll go for other players like a centre-forward, who I mentioned. I don't think Valt Vegorst is the long-term solution for Manchester United up front. Anthony Martial is injured far too often for him. Um, for his manager to be able to re- rely on him. I think Bruno Fernandes will continue to improve with better players around him. So when he came in in January 2020, he lifted the players around him. United was so flat at that time. But now he's got better players, more experienced players around him. So he's maybe not the best example, but a lot of those younger players take Anthony. They can learn from the actions of Varane and from Casimiro. Pretty good spine there now. You've got that defence. Lissandro Martinez is excellent. You've got um, Varane, who I've mentioned, Casemiro. You've got Marcus Rashford, the sort of homegrown hero, who's doing really well. And Luke Shaw's been effective. So if he can get more of a tune consistently out of hugely talented players like like Jadon Sancho, um, then Manchester United should improve significantly. I still think it's going to be very difficult because of the way that Manchester City resourced Newcastle United as well. Chelsea, who knows what's going to happen there. Liverpool's been the major surprise this year. I thought it would be Manchester City and Liverpool. Really did. I'm really surprised at how Liverpool had such a difficult season. But that's football. It changes so quickly, as Manchester United fans have shown uh, this this season. So it'll recruit well. And there's good people like Darren Fletcher. They're, They're bringing in players based clearly on the talent, but also on the personalities as well. And the players who are coming in are adding to that dressing room positivity. They're not detracting from it. And trust me, one year ago, there were plenty of players there who who were detracting from it. Andy, we'll let you go. Enjoy the day's work. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Thank you. That's uh, Andy Minton there. Um, I think that's the other thing, Nathan, that's happened is that uh, all the leaks have stopped. We're not hearing about training ground bust-ups and any of that stuff anymore. No, it feels as though the entire club is better managed, that he somehow got control of the entire structure of the organisation, which the -the off-the-pitch stuff had become laughable at one stage where they'd have these shareholders meetings and they'd be boasting about having more Instagram followers in the world than anybody else and every second day to be a new commercial partnership announced as we touch on with the suit deal and all of that, that actually he now has total control of everything that involves the players. So, yeah, it's... uh Again, to think where they were just four months ago in that City game to where they are now. 
two quick comments. Uh, Niall Keane says, Nathan, the most bitter Liverpool fan ever. Get used to it, pal. You're in for a miserable time of it. Ha, 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 ha. Uh-huh. And then this one. Anyone who thinks Bruno's not important is not watching United. He's United's best player. He does a phenomenal amount of work, creates so much, bizarrely underrated. Care to answer any of the charges against you, Nathan? Uh, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying Bruno Fernandes isn't a very good player. I'm, I'm asking the question, if Manchester United are looking to go to another level, is Bruno Fernandes someone whose position might actually be at risk? Okay. Uh, Colm says you're backtracking. I'm not. I don't. I don't think he's been. I don't think he's been exceptional. I don't think. Like I, don't think if there. I don't think if anyone's picking their team of the season, Bruno Fernandez is going to be in it. Uh, I mean, I, we, we, that wasn't the that wasn't the, the weird. That's a bit of a straw man argument you're putting up there. Anyway, let's move on because uh, Anthony Moyes is with us in studio. Anthony, good morning to you. Morning, gents. Uh, Nathan has sounds like backtracking to me. Na- Nathan has already <laughs> been um, talking about Mayo. We 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 managed. Let's to, talk about Kildare. We managed to lull him into a. Yeah, we're actually really good. Um, we we will talk about Kildare. We can do that. That's fine. Talton Cup. I mean, it's much, it's going to be it's going to be a really good one this vast, year. Vastly <laughs> underrated competition. I feel you know. Yeah. Maybe we haven't paid enough attention to this in the past. It could arguably be more important than the real one than the sound. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, any port in a storm. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think you'd be on your own. Uh, we may be in it as well, so uh, the way things are going. Division 2, <laughs> Division two is, the, <laughs> is the bear pit that we thought it was going to be. Um, let's, let's start at Division 1, right? Because uh, Mayo did Hockey Tyrone, and mm. it's not Tyrone's uh, only bad performance so far. It's also not Mayo's only good performance so far. Um, but we've seen this before from Tyrone in the league where they have a bad time we're kind of taking it as a matter of course that they'll recover but last season they didn't recover yeah. uh, so what's the truth where, where do you where do you stand and where they are at the moment it's funny I, I I watched the game back last night purely for the real you know well two two aspects I, I wanted to see just because we were obviously talking about Tyrone and the performances haven't been great over the last while Um and I wanted to see was it a more of a mental thing? Was it something that they've been trying to do something different? You know, are they you know trying to change a style of play, um, or is it just that there's something missing, and and a and a real hangover which they've been suffering now for quite a spell actually, and. Uh, I don't think they're trying to do anything different. They they seem to have you know same personnel by and large, same setup really. Um, they have Frank Burns, I suppose. In he 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 is um, kind of playing as a, as a as a as a six, a double six. He's sitting in front. He was sitting in front of O'Shea a lot last night, um, or should I say, the, the, on Saturday. Um, but I tell you what, they're missing. They're missing a spark, Jer. Like they're missing. They're missing something. They were actually really good. First twenty twenty five minutes, they were arguably the better team. They actually could have been six points to two up. Uh, they could have actually been one five to two up. They had a good goal chance just before actually the ball got sent down to the other end and Mayo got their first goal. But literally when the first goal went in for Mayo, it was just like bang, someone just, just popped the balloon and the air just went out of them. The, the body language straight away, you see fellas just turning around. There wasn't even any kind of real spikiness. There wasn't any narkiness. There wasn't fellas going, you know, you didn't track that run. They just turned around, heads went straight down and they just, you know, kind of assumed and resumed back out of the positions which you know for Tyrone as we know in their pomp a couple of years ago there was an arrogance there was a in your face there was a very much you know we're going to put you down and we're going to come back at you again and again and again we're going to grind you down and it wasn't that you know they, they, they seemed meek you know they just seemed to be 
they weren't bullied um, and they actually had some like I, I really I, I focused on it because I actually thought they were actually playing some decent patterns of play um, but literally from that goal and then the second goal it was just like it just went from you know bad to worse as as from a confidence level and then it looks like they're doing it but they're not really doing it like the Hessian goal was just an outstanding piece of skill but if you actually watch it beforehand three Tyrone players stop like Peter Hart is running back as Hessian gets the ball Originally, Hart is in front of him. Hessian moves forward, plays the one-two. Hart stops. Myler stops, and then I can't remember the third Tyrone player stops. And they all stop, thinking, "Oh, someone else is going to do something here. Morgan is going to save it," and it doesn't happen, of course. And then the last goal is an absolute. Like if you watch the last goal, McCurry is standing there. Like it's just, it's a total just lack of awareness who's actually doing their job he has to chase back he's actually marking his man behind the the, the free if you get me he starts chasing O'Connor and then as the goal goes in he turns around and he's just looking at me saying like where are we here you yeah. know so so I think there's a there's a number of things going on that's an that. attitude thing though right that like that's that's not uh, they haven't become bad footballers they haven't had like a one fifth <clears> of the team <throat> decide to leave yeah. so that's not unfixable I, like, although like honestly if, if, you, if you'd gone to the game and you left after 25 minutes you go Mayo were possibly in trouble here because they were actually finding gaps they were, they were, they were running at Mayo down the middle you know they were clipping over a few good scores McShane was causing a little bit of problem but then I'll tell you where they're struggling I think a little bit and, and you're, you're right on what you say it is an attitudinal situation okay I don't know why that's being caused. I right. don't know if there's something going on in the background. I don't know if it's because of the dual mandate on the management team. I don't know. Things don't look like a happy camp, to be honest. They don't look happy on the sideline. They don't look happy on the pitch. Um, I haven't heard any stories. It's been fairly tight. So maybe it will come out. Um, but they seem they seem like a team that definitely re- require a spark. But a spark just doesn't come. You know, you have to generate it. You know, you really have to. And uh, they seem like they're kind of literally on the ropes now just waiting to be knocked out. And I don't feel it's, a, it's not potentially a fitness thing where they're in this new calendar thinking, you know what, Ulster, we're going to take that seriously. We's. We're going to try and peak six weeks down the line where Kevin McStay's <sighs> come in and said, I want Mayo fighting at full cylinders right from the off. I don't know. I don't think so, Nathan. I, like, they didn't look off it from a fitness perspective last night. It, like, again, it's not a fitness thing. It, it's, 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 a, it's a thing in your mindset. Like, I remember years ago, we, we played a game against Wexford, and I remember Colm Coyle was over us, and we had the game obviously videoed, and Matty Ford cut in. He got a ball on the, uh, the left-hand side. He cut in, and I remember there was three or four of us chasing him back. Now, it looked like we were chasing him back. But as he pointed out in the video, we watched it repeatedly and he called us all and we absolutely got strips torn off. We, we weren't really, you know, we weren't going flat out to get him. You know, we were, we were, we were motioning it. And there, there is a, there's a slight difference, but you can see it. So the Tyrone lads are kind of, it, it, from the optics, it looks like they're really mm. pushing it. But they're not, they're not at it where they were, say, two years, where there was just that manic sense of, we have to get back. We have to crowd these players out. We have to get to the ball. We, even in their attack, you know, their attack is very one, one kind of off runner. So in other words, if you watch, like McShane, I don't know if you saw it, but he, after the second goal, he gets a ball. And he comes inside on his left foot and he goes to kick it and he, he drops it in front of the goalkeeper. It, it, like it bounces in front of the goalie from about 25 yards out. He fists another one wide and he kicks another one really bad. Like, and, and every single time that happened, well, actually, you could look at it and say, geez, that's terrible football. But he had no options. He had no fellas coming at him at angles. There's no real sense. They're not trying anything different okay. as well in the forward. So I think there's a major crisis there uh, and they need to fix it. 
and I don't think it's necessarily our work. You know, we're, we're trying to look to build for later in the year. They have a lot. They have a lot of issues. What about on the other side, Mayo and? Um their ability to find these hard-running uh, halfbacks who are creative and score-getters. And also, it turns out um, the mercurial forwards are no longer mercurial, they're just good. Yeah, like it, it, it's funny to watch the progression of Mayo, obviously, from a team who, you know, they, they would have relied on the likes of Keegan and, you know, Durkin and guys like this coming forward and clipping scores for them. And, and, and you know, albeit Hessian gets that amazing goal, they have they have gone from a team that, Yes, they have that, but they're not overly reliant on it anymore. So we, for the last number of years, would have always said, and I would have said, you know, they need to find that extra bit of talent inside. So they have O'Donoghue, but the reliance on O'Donoghue is actually getting less and less, not because he's not well capable, but actually other guys are sharing the load. So every week, which is a positive for them, someone else is coming and stepping forward. So, you know, last week it was... um, uh, Oh, the half forward. Sorry, who kicked four scores? Um, Ted's car. No, Jordan. Week. Yes, yes. Uh, so, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so he he steps up. You know, Carr steps up. Aidan O'Shea is playing probably the best, arguably the best football he's ever played. Right, and his hands are excellent. Jared Connolly esque. Nathan was saying. Well, the ball in the ball in was absolutely peach of a ball. But but you can see what they're doing. They're mixing long with short. They're mixing intricate little plays when when it's when it's when it's crowded out, which Tyrone obviously did. They were quite happy to go left and right, left and right, but then try to find O'Shea with a pass. But unlike McShane on the far side, as soon as he receives the ball, he has two or three runners come and pass him at pace, yeah. and that's the key thing to break that um, mass defence. The and pace is the key he, thing. He has always been able to play that kick pass as well. Like that's the midfielder in him coming out. Absolutely. Actually, he doesn't have those responsibilities of the midfielder to get back and be completely shattered because they're running the legs off you. Correct. Up and down, up and down, up and down. And, and like, the reliance on him out there, they used to get overrun. You know, there, there was a, there was a there was a sense that you'd get at Mayo because of the you'd overrun their midfield event. So, but they've got loads of legs out in the middle of the field. Um, now, on the flip side, and this is where I would caution a little bit, and we, and we cautioned last week about this. They're scoring a lot of goals. They're not scoring a massive amount of points. You know, they got 13 scores. I think it was 4-9, was it, or 4-10. So you kind of go, OK. And, and again, like Kerry last week, even though Tyrone were dead and buried, they didn't, they could have, they could have put a big score on them. Um, now, maybe McStay, he made a few substitutions. He probably said, much like the Kerry game, well, this is nearly done at half time. Do we really need to push on? But the mentality should always be that you do push on. You don't, you don't give a sucker a second chance. So they should have put a real marker down on Tyrone. Um, I thought they were a little bit sloppy second half. Um, and actually they could have got more scores. But I, I think my, my, the, the, I suppose the the warning sign I would put on Mayo a little bit is is that teams will now start to look at them and work them out a bit and say right well actually can you go and kick scores from range or are you heavily reliant on your 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 your, your goal scoring ability yeah um, but there's no doubt about it you know they're they're playing with a massive confidence now and you can see and like if you were to you know put smiley faces on. <laughs> Like they're smiling, they're happy. You can see the camp. There's a togetherness. Is there Tyrone a is complete of, disarray. Is there a bit of a Schmidt Farrell with Horan Max Day that you know the Horan puts the basics there yet again? And we saw last time. Then Rockford comes in and sort of brings them to a new level. That yeah, he's given a lot of these guys their time over the last couple of years. He's bedded them in, and now actually it's been left to somebody else to. Well, you could be like the the Hessian goal is a kind of. 
is that a symptom of that? You know, in the sense of like you would know a number of years ago he kind of burst onto the scene then he he, he got lost then for mm. a while he was a sub for a while I remember kind of looking last year saying well, like, why isn't it because I, I, I was really impressed with him I thought he was a really really good player confidence obviously got hit I think he got injured before it. but you know he, he did the he did the man marking job on Paddy Clifford last week and he did it really really well so he's a, he's an excellent footballer but his ability in that is that he just doesn't give the pass and, and he doesn't get it and just ship it left or right or kind of go back he's thinking for Forward all the time, and he's thinking go and receive, and all of them are thinking that. That's, that's a mindset, a mindset change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it's the exact opposite of the mindset that we were talking about with Tyrone. So um, definitely, little acorns there for all the Mayo fans. Like, yeah, suitably carried away with. <laughs> yeah, Choo-choo. on board that high train, Nathan. No, no, no. You did a good. It's you still did February, a, isn't it? You did a good job dampening it down earlier on. We were yeah. like, yeah, we've got the best forwards. Anyway. No. Um, Kerry Armagh game was really interesting in that uh, Armagh had a very specific plan and we, we're still waiting to see uh, Kerry you know this is early stage Kerry this is a very early season for them and as we've been talking about in the show a little bit earlier on the championship structure doesn't really do Kerry at this time of the year any favours in terms of want they mm. don't need anything they just need not to get relegated yeah. and then everything will be happy they want to be in the middle and you know that game against Cork looks like it's going to be interesting Cork are good again mm-hmm. But after that, they're still going to be in around Robin, where they're definitely going through to an All Ireland quarterfinal. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's yeah. there's zero jeopardy from our perspective about Kerry being in an All Ireland quarterfinal. So, um, I think Jack O'Connor made a big deal of like losing against Donegal and and the performance against Mayo. He was sickened about after that, and then everybody's back in now. There was no no rest for the no. Cliffords. No kind of sense that okay. And Paul Murphy was straight in as well. So mm. they do want results and getting the result in a performance like that is probably the type of thing that afterwards that's just giving the team confidence again I think he wants results but he also he doesn't want a sense of apathy coming into it and you know we'll just rest on our laurels he wants that challenge and that competitiveness in the team um, he wants fellas stepping up he he probably one of the things we, we, we've we mentioned is is you know is he a, a bad injury to one of his main guys? He wants he wants depth, you know. So yesterday, I thought Armagh were were really good. Actually, um, they set their stall out, um, and it was kind of like a battle of two basketball. Kind of, you could see it, you know, between uh, uh, obviously Donaghy on one side. Um, you have a situation where. Armagh's press if you watch what Armagh do and this is kind of we'll talk about Kildare and a couple of other teams later on but Armagh do what's what's a thing in basketball which is which is works really really well from a defensive point of view is that you sink with the ball we spoke about this before but if the ball passes you by you try to get back to that situation so as a defender you look and you try to have everything out in front of you so if the ball comes out you're able to push up if the ball goes in behind you get back you don't turn your back on the ball so all the defenders are watching where the ball is and one eye on their man so Armagh yesterday, Kerry found it very, very difficult to to break that down. Anything down through the middle, they came into the honey pot and they were just trying to grab them. The only t- the only way you beat that is pace. That's the only way you can beat it and angles of running. So you get the ball in and whoever receives it inside, it's just one touch football then. You don't take a play on the ball. It's one touch. It's fast hands. And if you watch any of the good scores Kerry got um, where they sliced through Armagh, it was one touch. I give it in to Nathan. He slips it to you. I'm coming off your left. You slip it to me. And the defenders don't have an opportunity to reset their feet and tackle you. Um, 
Armagh would be happy. He'd be disappointed they lost it because it was a couple of moments of just, you know, McQuillan at the end. He has Shawnee O'Shea and then he kind of gives him a second dunt and the referee blows him for it. And, and that was a free that kind of really just set it apart. They had an opportunity themselves. Um, but I don't think he'd be overly disappointed because he went toe to toe with them. And by the way, that was a, that was a ding dong yesterday or the other, there was, there was plenty in it. The referee, I know we're always trying to give referees a bit of stick, but I thought the referee from Galway, um, he was sporting a, set, a pair of Vans trainers, which I thought were, uh, very, very, very kind of retro, uh, Galway man. But I thought he refereed it brilliantly. He let things go. He let the intensity go. Um, and it was as close to a championship kind of fair. Uh, as you would get this time of the year, like Armagh decided, right, we're going to give it to you, and Kerry didn't 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 uh, shy away from it. So Armagh coming away from that feeling good about themselves? I think so. Yeah, like absolutely. I think they would be happy. I think they would. I think they'd be disappointed they didn't get something out of the game. Absolutely, they they will be. Uh, on Kerry, on the flip side, um, again, he is he is motioning towards a team that is just building, building, building confidence. Yeah. Uh, like it's been great listening to Paddy Andrews over the last three seasons explain how the league mattered to them at different stages and why individual matches mm. would be and then um, I thought Liam Hayes put it well last week when he was talking about that's a team that wins one point games he was talking about meeting Jim Gavin they win a lot of one point games that just speaks to mindset yeah. and like so Kerry can't fake that that game uh, in the Munster Championship until they get to the end of the Munster Championship and um, and again, it's probably depending on the draw, they could end up having a bunch of Division Three teams yeah. Um, yeah. in San Maguire. So these matches are actually that's the bit where it matters. Like it matters a few individual performances, a bit of depth, and then them him putting the pressure on them. We need lead points. We need to win this yeah. game. Yeah, um, I know it is, and it is putting pressure on because without without the application of pressure, you won't find what your players will do when they're when they're faced with it. You know, so these new guys who are coming in, such as Roach and a few other fellas, you need to find that they they can do it. And all he really needs to get is an extra two, two, two guys, two fellas where he'll say they may not necessarily be starting, but they're guys that he can look to. Like Brosnan comes on, he kicks a great score near the end under pressure, a score that they needed out on the right hand side with his left kick. That again is you're coming on to do a job. And we need you to get a score here. Yeah. He comes up, and he sticks it, you know, and ultimately that's probably one of the winning scores. But what he, what he, what O'Connor will like is the fact that he knows, like if we're sitting down and we're saying, right, here are our league games, and that's why the league, especially at this time of year, can be a bit tricky. I thought some teams yesterday, not to do a disservice to Monaghan, but Ross Common looked like to me they did a big heavy week this week. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they did four or five days in a row because some fellas will say, you know, I've got my points on the board. Yeah, well, Davey afterwards was saying, ah, finally that whole hero beaten for a year and a half thing, that nonsense is over. I was like, never seen a man as happy that like, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and they, again, the, the league takes on different nuances. I'd say he'd be delighted because he'll now bring them down a couple mm. of pegs. You know, because it, he, this could have been a runaway train. Next thing you end up going into the Connacht Championship and you're bet. And you're kind of going, Jesus, where are we now? So O'Connor knows that that Armagh game is a big game. He's saying this is against probably top three or four, five in the county opposition. This is a game who they're going to provide us with something that we will face, which is that defence I spoke about, where they're just saying, you know what, we're happy to make this nine points each. Yeah. 
We're not. We don't want. We don't want to kick sixteen points. We're actually because people were saying, oh, you know, our ma weren't very adventurous in the first. Didn't want to be adventurous in the first half because if they were adventurous in the first half, they would have left gaps behind. They were literally saying, this is rope a dope stuff. You know, we're going to sit here, we're going to wait, and then we're going to try to tag on our scores. Yeah. Um, but we're certainly not going to get sucked out by you. That was practice for the Ulster Championship for them. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the uh, three of the Leinster teams, and, and by extension, Louth as well. So the Dubs, uh, Paul Gavin was making the point on Twitter that perhaps they're actually happy enough, listed off like six players that they were missing, uh, come from six points down against Clare, poor Clare for the second week in a row. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure Claire were heartbroken going back down the road because it would have been a big win for them either that or something really bad has happened in Dublin you know like again yeah. they don't have to peak they've like one game in Leinster that probably won't be that risky yeah and then they're through to Sam Maguire so and they they too now have they did dairy next week so interesting to see what kind of a team they put out there yeah it's it's I think Again, very, very passive first half. You know, Claire got some, but it was, you know, they were very, very passive. No real sense of intensity. They started to increase the level of intensity the second half, especially when they went, whatever it was, six or seven down. Um, and all of a sudden, then they started turning Claire over. They started transitioning the ball faster. But he brought the big guns on. He probably ended up with, I'd say, arguably five of his six starting forwards on the field, if not six of six. Um, we spoke about this last week. I don't think they have unearthed anything different, neither in a, ma- a major forward uh, who can take the mantle um, or the style of play that they're really doing. You know, they're still running the same patterns of play. Like, Kilkenny is still doing this kind of east to west thing where he's trying to... And teams are actually going, that's fine. You know, I'm not actually going to put a man on you. He's different to Clifford. Clifford, when he's doing that role, will stop, look and ping a pass. Kilkenny Kilkenny will, you know, he'll give these kind of looping hand passes to guys. But people are kind of saying, well, actually, we know what they're going to do. As the ball comes in, they either do that basketball move, which is the one where they come towards you and then they go the backdoor cut or they'll do the loop around. So they don't quite have the discipline as well in their shot taking that they had of the Gavin era where, you know, you get hammered for... Yeah, shooting it, if you didn't score. Yes, yeah, so you've you a couple of guys like James was taking James McCarthy was taking a few shots, which you know wasn't his forte. You know, you've got guys taking shots from bad angles, wrong shot selection. Um, but so it's, you're not it's, convinced. I'm not. No, I'm not. I, I like again. They'd usually blow Clare away, you know. They would. Uh, they've played Kildare. Like, we've seen how Kildare's progression has gone yeah, since yeah. the start of the year. And, yeah. like, I mean, Kildare could have easily won that game first night. Yeah. You know, so you're kind of going, um, where is the spark? Unless they are doing the heavy block of training and they're like, and, and maybe Mannion is that forward who is yeah. the one. And so, uh, yeah, you've Mannion, you've John Small, right? So they, they make a difference. You've Howard to come back. But again, like, I mean, but in the last number of years, they would have always been missing fellas. Yeah. yeah and yeah. We've ne- no one would have ever said, oh, well, they have to get thing back. They yeah. would have just said, well, they've missed them, but they've loads of talent. So what I think is, I think they've now got their guys who they have had for the last number of years. But they, I'm not saying, Jesus, there's three or four fellas who are ready to take them out. Like they still, McCaffrey came on and kind of provided the spark. So they're kind of going, well, we have to go back to him. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Nope. So that's a worry. Uh, not, I'd much rather be them than us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'm, I'm being thrown into the mixer here, obviously. Well, I think so, because yeah. I, thought, I thought it looked like Loud were going to come up and go straight back down, but that's not the case. They, they now have, uh, They've got Kildare next week and they're going to be feeling themselves. They owe Kildare after last season in the championship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is a chance for them to, um, at home, 
I, did, I didn't realise yesterday's game was in Park Talchon until I looked at it there. So Meath get caught by Louth and then Louth Kildare next week. Because essentially, if Kildare lose that, they're more than likely going to be in the Talchon Cup. Well, 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 depending on how. I wasn't at the game, but I was talking to a few people who were. 20 minutes uh, into the second half, Meath are a man down and they're five points up. You're saying, right, turn the radio off, they'll see this one out here. And they end up losing by three. They only get one point in the last 15 minutes. So um, that's that's alarm bells time. Yeah, you could say the 14 men, you know, maybe, you know, playing against a breeze, running out of a bit of puff, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's a worry. It's a massive, massive win for Loud. But in the, in, in the actual intricacies of the game, they were very, very good on the press, I believe. They were very well organised in their defence, you know, which, which is what you expect. So Hart, Devlin is in there. You know, he has them playing. And again, it's kind of like the Derry thing. And similar to Mayo. Once you're playing to a pattern of play and you get buy-in from fellas, as soon as you get fellas saying question marks, you're going to say, right, okay, this guy is maybe not on board. But you look at Derry. You look at these teams that have the buy-in to that. And this is the modern game. It is. Like, I mean, people can say what they like about, oh, well, we need to be kicking the ball more. When the team have the opposition, you need to make sure that you set up in a way that you're trying your best, whether it's whether it's in your own half or whether it's in, in midfield or whether it's in their half. You're trying your best to put pressure and get the ball back. Yeah. That's the thing. It's it's pretty simple when you think about it. Um, Loud did that. Punish Mead, and if you want to look at the divergence between uh, two sets of, of, of smiley faces, like Louder coming into this game against Kildare, absolutely buzzing, and Kildare have to be on the floor. Because watching some of the highlights yesterday from Kildare, I was kind of saying, like, okay, Derry are playing really well, and Derry can do that to you. But coming to Newbridge, I was saying, you know, and I know people will say, oh, Kildare's game doesn't actually suit Newbridge, which I don't know if I buy that. Um, well, Jesus, the amount of one-on-one defending yesterday was outrageous. So watch back some of the goals, some of the scores. So when I say one-on-one defending, what I mean is Kildare guys, I'm going back to this thing about the ball and sinking with the ball. The ball in behind and Kildare guys, I'm marking Nathan and I'm facing Nathan and the play is all there. So it's now one on one inside. So there's no strategy. No strategy. That no man gets that man gets skinned. Strategy. It's back in the net time. And so the, the difficulty is that Cork came to Newbridge and absolutely annihilated Kildare, and now Derry have come to Newbridge and, and annihilated them too. And yeah. the only victory is a come from behind victory away against Clare. So they're going to have to go to Louth and win that game. Well, it's a week. weird one, Jerry. Like I'm just I know you, but you know, for a team and a county where there was so much excitement about the management team. Yeah, like it's not that long ago we were talking about that. You know, the 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 greats of the game in Kildare in the last twenty or thirty years, and pulling all of that experience and knowledge in, it's actually there actually isn't even a story about them. You know, like there has, there hasn't been good or bad, so it's just kind of like they're there, um, and it's 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 not a good situation. Um, and that that game next weekend is enormous yeah. for both teams. All right, Anthony, we'll leave it there for now thanks a million cheers lads uh, more of course from the lads on the football pod a little bit later tonight uh, you can subscribe to the OTB GA feed for you a reminder Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off the Ball now Brayburn locations are popping up right across the country at Apple Green locations visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn Coffee experience here's some highlights on the OTB podcast network today Brian Kerr chatting with Stephen Doyle after a 2-0 win for Spurs against Chelsea, the Sunday pay-per-view with Kieran Cunningham and Shane Keegan joining Joe and Alison Miller reviewing Ireland's bonus point victory against Italy. Up next, Sarah Donovan. Sarah Donovan talks about the weekend's hurling. Oh.
TV. AM. Right, I'm delighted to say Sarah Dunham is with us to talk hurling in the weekend's uh, hurling league action. It's harder for us to get meaningful stuff from the hurling league than it is in the football league. Um, and yet, there's definitely some bits and pieces that are important. Uh, you're at the Dublin Tip game. Yeah, so we spoke last week about Tip and I was wondering, did they have depth? And they answered that. Brian O'Mara's in. Garrod O'Connor at centre forward. Scored four great points. As well, the bench. Later on, they had Seamus Callan to come in, Noel McGrath to come in, and Bonner Mart to come in. It's not bad, is it? No, and like if you look at the Dublin setup, they didn't have the same depth. They have a, they have a team, they have a structure, they have a core, but the players that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, the likes of Liam Rush, Chris Crummy, those are the guys that Dublin don't have coming in now. Where Tip do? Um, we are talking to Anthony Nash on Fridays on Off the Ball, and he was talking about Brian O'Mara and. Uh, like he was, I haven't heard somebody who's coached a player offer as much praise up for somebody as he was effusive. Like he's your solution at six, he's your solution at three, he's your solution wherever you need a solution. And um, not many counties have that. Uh, you know, another Brian O'Mara in Tipperary as well. But what was so good and so impressive about him? Well, it's it's his positioning. So and his reading of the game and I know Anthony was mentioning his personality and attitude but outside of that he's an out and out hurler I suppose another hurler that I would say is similar to him is Dermot Ryan from Clare that type of player who can play across the line um, Ronan Marr uh, Mark Coleman and Cork they're just players who are very comfortable in front of the ball and distributing the ball yeah. like Barry Nash Yeah and it, um, we kind of got into it a little bit about how um, you know Limerick essentially play with a two man full forward line and then somebody dropping deep and if you just have your old traditional three backs and you're not really accounting for that and so the modern defender needs to be either one week you're going to be a man marker but mm-hmm. then another week you're actually not you're going to end up with loads of ball and you need to be really good at it and that's where your reading of the, the game needs to come in and maybe we don't fully appreciate that until the last 15 minutes of an All-Ireland quarterfinal semi-final final because of the distribution so if you look at Barry Nash yesterday for Limerick I suppose that's what Brian O'Mara offers tip because he's comfortable in that spot Nash yesterday was picking out uh, Darrow Dunham in the midfield Darrow Dunham's finding Tom Marcy and all of a sudden it's the easiest score of the game so Tip by doing that by having a player in that position because Michael Breen had been there for the last two weeks and I suppose he offers you the more Gar McInerney style you know strong physical you, you full them, back you need them all mm. it turns out you need a combination yeah, of all to these to be able to push forward but Ultimately, if you can't get the ball out of your backs, you're you're given a kind of a seventy thirty ball in favour of the opposition. You need to be giving a seventy thirty ball in favour of your opposition. You know, so that's what's key. Uh, Will O'Callaghan was saying that Bonner Mar had been playing full forwards for the earlier stages. Is this an experiment? Is this where he has some kind of future? What What do you think? Oh, I I love him at eleven. I just think his vision is incredible. There's still a goal from 2019 that's one of the best goals I've ever seen that he was involved in. Um, I think from Tipperary's point of view, the options the last night, that big, strong half-forward line, Seamus Kennedy scored two points. I said Garrett O'Connor scored four points. That inside, that six-tip um, forwards, before Callan and Bonner ever came on, they were all on the scoreboard. And that's what you're looking for with tip is a spread of scores. By comparison, Dublin were heavily reliant on Donald Burke. He scored 14 points. He ended up getting the man of the match, which is hard to do on a losing team. Yeah, But that's how, I suppose, uh, effective he is. But I think Dublin, by comparison, didn't have that same spread of scores. Um, what What's success this year for Dublin? Like, what... Well, at the end of the year Mio who sits down and goes okay that was a good year what what will it have been? Well I would say looking at Wexford yesterday against Clare you'd be thinking that Dublin would fancy themselves now to go into third spot 
they you know that they would qualify out out of the Leinster Championship into the All Ireland Championship based on the last three games. I think they're definitely further ahead of Wexford. Wexford have a raft of injuries and long term injuries at that. So you know they got an awful trimming from Clare yesterday. So I think Dublin would be very happy knowing that they have a. A three of six, Chris O'Leary in midfield for Dublin. Um, Donald Burke, if that injury yesterday, he came off after 61 minutes on Saturday. Um, if, they, if Dublin were to lose Donald Burke, Wexford and Dublin could be on par. Well, only two of their six starting forwards scored him Saturday. Then you had Sean Curry come in. Then you had Paul, you know, Paul uh, Crummy come in. I know, I, I know it's a worry, but I really like Alex Considine. I think uh, Kim Boland probably wasn't as clinical as he was against Waterford. I thought Dublin were much more assured against Waterford than they were against Tip. Um, but they're still very busy and they're learning. You know, it's a, it's hard in the, in that first year to to knit. Uh, let's talk about Limerick. So they ended up five point winners against Galway. Yeah. A bit of controversy about Kyle Hayes not getting sent off at least for a second yellow. Although it's probably a straight red when you smack somebody in the face with a hurl. Is it a straight red these days? I don't know. I mean, it's a ma- it's a manly sport. Apparently, we keep getting told you're right. supposed to just take this shit, right? Well, I wa- I watched I watched the incident. I saw where uh, Concanon obviously it's it's a, it's a dunk beforehand. It's there? an awkward pull, right? And it's an awkward pull, and it goes across his shin. Now, anyone who gets a wallop on the shin, right? <laughs> From right, finish that one. The reaction, the reaction would be one of hurling people here yeah. frustration. Yeah, okay. And, and how would you how would you take that uh, frustration, out, Sarah? Uh, uh, Smack. That's just that's just something that can't be accounted for in the rules. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> like the pain that there's, goes through your shin. There's the rules, and then there's the <laughs> hurling rules, and we all know that you're allowed to smack somebody across the face. Yeah. Is that is that what you're, you're not, the shin. You're absolutely not allowed to smack somebody across the face. But if I was to get a wallop in the shin with no shin guard on, that's the pain. The frustration is something that you it's just automatically. Uh, it, it's sickening, right? It's sickening. But that's what. Okay, there's a rule book there for it. Uh, the linesman it was on the sideline the linesman should have seen it so there's a pair of them in it um, Kyle Hayes' reaction was silly okay he he's a, he's a long time in the game he, he should have been able to restrain himself he didn't he got away with it and then he wins the free late on it's not meaningless in the end of, of the you know so absolutely Limerick seemed to have Galway at arm's length for the majority of the game but if there'd been a sending off mm-hmm. You never know what what would have happened. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Galway didn't deserve to win that game. Okay, Limerick were head and shoulders above them in terms of their um, movement, their communication, even their physicality. And Anthony Nash spoke on Friday about winning moments in games. You know, as opposed to uh, increasing your purple patches, but specifically moments in games. And there was a moment in the first half where Galway looked like they were kind of coming up the field. Darrow O'Donovan thumped Jack Grealish, and I felt it in my bones. It's they were just repelling Galway like that physicality was incredible and Galway if they had won that game it would have been a steal so for me Galway yesterday they have no forward movement their their forward play is very very weak it's a bit mad isn't it yeah uh, like we would expect it now again you know uh, the game being played in February is not the same game that will be played at the end of April and May although it's close enough it's probably closer than it has been in previous seasons like we expect Galway to come through and be in an All Ireland quarter final at the very least, right? So, how do they go from this static forward play now to being better in June? Well, you've one of the best forwards in the country as their manager. I'm surprised that that 
seems to be the thing that was most lacking yesterday. They genuinely didn't know who was moving into a pocket and the person who was most frustrated was Conor Whelan. He just physically couldn't find space or couldn't get on a ball and some of the ball that he distributed himself was very poor. So the communication within the Galway six isn't there yet. And for me, if I was Henry Shefflin, I'd be opening the playbook today and saying, right, how do I get these players moving into pockets? They'd one score... Um, early on and you'll remember it it was Conor Cooney's chance for a goal which was actually the only goal in the game um, and he comes onto it at pace he's an incredible touch and the ball is played out into the left hand side and it's the little dink pass and he's through he breaks the line but at no other point in the game did Galway look like they were going to break the line And can they look at Limerick yesterday and how the Limerick forwards move and how they pick up pockets of space and, and learn something from that or are Limerick just so far ahead skill wise that Actually, Limerick's, the majority of Limerick's scores came from out around the 45 yesterday. They got 20, 25 points yesterday and, and it was, they, they were in between, like in between the 65 and, and the 45. Um, I, I was surprised at Limerick actually that they didn't break the line yesterday. So what they seem to be doing, and Shane O'Brien is excellent at it, he comes out, he wins the ball and then he's feeding back the field. Tom Morrissey, uh, Key and Lynch who picked up three points. That's where Limerick are a little surprised this year in that they're not going for goals and I don't know is that because they're they're playing three they're actually playing three across the line rather than in the full forward line in two inside right okay and get, uh, Flanagan and I'm, I'm sorry to harp on about this but the poor devil is missing Galan no end because he got a point yesterday late on he's I'd say this is the lowest he scored in the league in a number of years you know uh to, before we go back to Limerick, mm. what do what do Galway do in training over the next month to make sure that they begin to get that deep understanding of how each other can create space for each other? Um, I think that comes from their midfield. So the the distribution yesterday from their half backs and midfields wasn't uh, fast enough. So I think you're looking at your midfields. You're looking at the likes of Sean Linan, and you're looking at kind of I suppose. Uh, restricting the space um, pulling pulling the Galway forwards in t- towards the goal and leaving that space so that they can run out into the pockets and then have the likes of Conor Cooney coming in at 11 because he's so physical and so direct he needs to be coming through the centre and the boys need to be playing him in OK from Limerick's perspective mm. the, um, the, uh, the Tom Morrissey bravura performance I didn't realise he was such a, a brilliant free taker uh, I guess maybe they um, have just a long line of free takers who are able to to do what he's d- doing at the moment. Um, uh, Galan aside, are we seeing anything different, or are they just getting better at what they've always been really good at? Um, I I think yesterday their distribution was heading to shoulders above uh, above Galway. It's just those little pockets of space. It's the comfort. It's the twenty yard pass. So that pass from Barry Nash to Darrow Donovan, and then he flicks out to uh, Tom Morrissey for the score. But like, if you look at Kyle Hayes at at left half back, and then you look at Tom Morrissey outside him, they scored what like you know seven to ten points between them yesterday at their ease. Yeah. Um, if I was playing against them. I'd be going, lads, I'm going off on, I'm going in right half order. I'm not dealing with these boys. <laughs> like That left side is lethal. It's, I hadn't seen them be so efficient uh, up that left side. That, that was their, that was the winning of the game yesterday. Um, where do you think Kyle Hayes starts in, say, the All-Ireland semi-final or final this year? What position? It has to be left back. Do you think so? It has to be, yeah. Right. Yeah. They've got so, like, they've, they've got so many options up front and with, with Keane Lynch now at 11, it's, it's. If he wasn't there, 
you could see him you know slotting in at 11 but but he's so good there he can run the game from there from from mm. 7 yeah he can run the game from 7 it's and and what's what's interesting is he he's really good at um reading the play so he'll he'll hold his run and then at the last second he'll bypass the Galway midfielder which he was doing yesterday and they're going where where did he come from you know so he loves to get forward and he's unmarkable the the ease at which they pass it short like mm. there was a few occasions yesterday when Nicky Quaid goes short to Richie English yeah. goes on to Dan Marcy and every time their body shape is perfect they're not taking any risks there's no chance at all that they're going to drop it they're protecting themselves in case there's a forward coming in putting some pressure on uh, why is it that they feel it, when you watch them and the short passing which should be one of the most basic parts of the game they look so much more comfortable than every other every other team Look, it's, I think hurling is about repetition it's literally drilling that the simplest of, of actions is is holding on to the ball and Galway yesterday kept dropping the ball allowing Limerick to step on them if that's if that's the thing that allows you to get out of uh, out of difficulty right Limerick have targeted that and if you saw yesterday as well every time a player from Limerick was on the ball they were coming they were coming forward four and five in a row so there was there was literally they, they like run like a, a semicircle and they're all running together so mm. every fella knows he can take four steps and he has an option right or left it's it's just so neat um, we're, we, we're kind of in that phase that we were in with the dubs a couple of years mm. ago where it's like who's, who's going to beat them how are they going to beat them can anybody beat them and at the moment we don't really see anybody who's putting together a, a body of evidence to suggest that unless it's going to be like a smash and grab bit of a fluke look if if, if you allow Galway to stay in that game yesterday which Limerick did I don't know how Galway stayed in that game but on 67 minutes Galway were two points down and then there's indis- indiscipline Kyle Hayes should have gone off and Limerick would have been down to 14 players and potentially could have lost that game. Okay. So it's Limerick's to lose because that indiscipline, as frustrating as it is to get a wallop in the shin, um, it's not worth, you know, losing games. And that's, Particularly later on in the year, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Garrow Takerty um, gave away free as well, which brought Galway back to two. It's, it's those kind of, it's that calmness under pressure that they probably didn't show as much of yesterday later on. The uh, Cork footballers were the real stars of the show in the double header, <laughs> uh, um, scoring six goals. Uh, the Hurlers only scored two and um, they, they kept Westmead in the game. Like Hard for the Cork Hurlers at this stage to uh, get as excited about this league game as they have been about some of the other league games because the, the performance has been excellent so far. So um, was this a bit uh, complacency or were they trying something else or is this one of those weeks where they do a really hard block of training and they just they kind of they don't really care about the but results there was a cohort of lads there made their debuts for Cork which is incredibly exciting for those lads so for those lads it meant the world to be in Park Cave yesterday but obviously that has an impact on the momentum that Cork had built over the last two weeks um, the Bars won the county last year right um, and yesterday four of the Bars lads got an opportunity to play together. Right. Um, Conor Callan, Ethan Toomey, um, Brian Hayes, uh, Re- and Ben Cunningham, right, Jerry Cunningham's son. So they scored six points between them. Um, that's a big return from uh, a, a very young set of players. Um, and that's really positive because that, that was their first opportunity and they took it. Uh, he kept a bit of, I suppose, consistency in there in that Shane Kingston was in, he scored 1-7. Uh, Shane Barrett scored 1-2. But it was that period after halftime where they scored three points in 15 minutes. That's not good enough. 
So that'll be what Pat Ryan will target in a couple of weeks or in the next couple of weeks to say, OK, we need to keep the scoreboard ticking over. You need to go probably six to eight points in that 15 minute spell. It can't drop to three. Um, we've been talking about the widening of the panel and mm. more clarity of purpose about what everybody is being asked to do. And so far, it feels like you you think anyway that they're getting more decisions right than wrong at the moment. Yeah, and look, there was I think ten different clubs represented again yesterday, um, from Newtown Shandrum with Cormac O'Brien uh, to Newcastle with with um, Luke Mead. He has spread the net so wide and there's so many players come through he's looking at 40 to 45 players you know across uh, the, the length of Cork which I think is really exciting and it's, it's hard to bed that down to, to like so you've got to keep sifting and sifting and sifting to get to the, the bit where your match day squad is ready to go in it's only six weeks now is it mm. I mean, yeah that's right yeah but Liam Griffin was on last week and he was talking about you know producing more players to bring up the quality yeah that's what has to happen in Cork. You have to produce more players to bring players up to the quality. So there'll be there'll be you know collateral damage, and there'll be lads will only get so far. But it'll allow. Is this a multi-year project? Like in their heads, do you think, or are they thinking that there's a possibility that you know a team can flare out the way? Like it has to be a multi-year project. If you saw Dan Morrissey and Tom Morrissey yesterday in their post-match interview, very wholesome interview, two very wholesome men. The conditioning of Dan Morrissey, lads. Like Cork don't have that right now, so they need two years of putting on that bulk to be able to. Were they McLeod taking their tops off again? Is that what happened? <laughs> he didn't need to. <laughs> the, like the tight, tight jersey. It's, kinda, it's, um, it's, it's always accidental, isn't it? Yeah, I'll, take, I'll take the smaller top. <laughs> well, they were. Let's just release the pictures. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very impressive. But I'm talking about their conditioning and what it allows them to do. Dan Marcy caught a ball out of the sky yesterday at six. Declan Hannon wasn't even playing well, yesterday. Well, that's what I'm trying to work out. So if yeah. Kyle Hayes is playing, is Declan Hannon not playing? Oh, no, I would... I would I, okay, and this is... Oh, you mean pick him at a... I would say Dan Marcy may end up at three. Okay. So Richie English is playing at three at the minute. Um, I would say Dan realistically will play at three, Declan at six. Um, right. And then Jeremy Burns again, at yes, five. They're only bringing on Goral Tegarty with fifteen minutes to go. I know, I know. They're just making sure that everybody is. Yeah. Now, I suppose if you look at if you look at yesterday, um, a couple of instances under the high ball, Limerick weren't as good out on the right yesterday under the high ball. So you can see where Goral Tegarty will plug back in without with his ease. There is part of this where everybody should try and watch as much of the Limerick hurlers as they possibly can because it's like all-time great team playing all-time great stuff and still in that sweet spot of desperate to break the records and have all the I don't really believe in hunger as a thing like I think the best teams generally win because they're the best teams but they still have this insatiable desire to uh, be seen to be the best and to break all the records that Kilkenny have set in the past and well. Yeah, as as evidenced by Donovan yesterday. I think, I, yeah. I think the dubs are in their sights. I don't think that um, they want to be the first hurling team to do five. They want to be the first GAA team to do whatever. You know. Yeah, I I think it's I think it's there for them. I think as a group, the, I suppose the only sticking point now is Gillan. So whether Gillan will be back for championship or not, um, there's eight weeks there. He was playing soccer last week by all accounts. So at least he's fit. <laughs> Soccer fit. <laughs> well, look, I think they haven't. They've only scored one goal in three games, so um, I, I think they. It'll be mutually beneficial for everybody to decide that now is the time for them to come back. I, I miss them anyway. Yeah. 
Alright Didn't even mention Wexford Gotta give one line Holy Jesus <laughs> Yeah He did 4-17 in the first half Yeah How the hell do you come back from that? Well you have to hope that it's a one-off And that next week somehow they fix it Because otherwise they're on the verge of slipping into irrelevancy again Which we thought, we'd, we thought they'd fixed They have uh, massive injuries Long-term injuries uh, Claire were playing like angry men Yesterday in that first half Obviously Tony Kelly was back uh, Conlon was back at six They looked more like themselves But Wexford weren't even tracking them At one stage David Reedy headed off up the line to get his goal And it was like a If Clare hadn't had the letdown in last year's All-Ireland semi-final We'd be talking about them as contenders now Because of what they did to Limerick in mm. Munster That that maybe, maybe we just need to forget about that And the truth about Clare is their performance in the Munster final and actually they're the ones who we should be thinking about as the potential to knock off Limerick. Uh, but they certainly looked more like uh, the, I suppose the performances that they had last year and Peter Duggan and um, Mark Rogers got a great goal. It, it, they were, I, I'm not going to take anything from it because Wexford just didn't show up yesterday. Yeah. Bar Conor McDonald's class goal. But you know, that's, that's needle in a haystack stuff yesterday for Wexford. Okay. Uh, a couple of quick comments for you from a little bit earlier on. Some credit for Westmead, better performance compared to other games. It's just hard to give Westmead and to a certain extent Antrim credit for those games until they start winning them. Uh, Graham Shaw says, Manchester United overachieving. Really, look at your wage, Bill Andy. Biggest spenders should win. But they've always been the biggest spenders mm. over the last decade or so and they've always been terrible. So. Yeah, I think what the the big spending has done is given them a good base of players. But clearly they've needed the You're right a United fan. as well. <laughs> a long time United fan. And uh, feeling feeling it, it was the milk cup, wasn't it? Look, it was fine. It was fine. It was fine. I love that Casemiro got the header. I, I, you know, he's my new Kincheskis. <laughs> uh, uh, we we uh, in the I was playing uh, Sarah in FIFA last week in the uh, Virgin Media Games room, and uh, she said that Andrew Kincheskis was her favourite Manchester United player growing up. And I said she was the first person I've ever met from Cork who didn't say Roy Keane. It was 1994. It was Roy hadn't, you know, made himself as relevant as he is now. <laughs> You're just revealing her age there, Nathan. Very... Well, the Milk Cup, I think, revealed her age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're come, we've come from awful heights down to being relieved over a trophy yesterday. This is the staging post, though. It does feel like it's the start of something as opposed to... Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. 100 million for Anthony is not good recruitment. They only got Casemiro when the Rabio deal fell through. I'm not convinced of Ten Hag's recruitment just yet. Rashford's form is overshadowing this, says Niall Daly. I think we don't know on all of that yet. We don't know if 100 million for Anthony is too much. The money is somewhat irrelevant for Manchester United. And is this Rashford's form or is this just Rashford now? Yeah. Like, uh, maybe the, this is just him. Like, there's no reason why he's not a 35, 40 goal in all competitions striker yeah. for the next two or three years. Ten Hag is making Wan-Bissaka look like a footballer. So I think that's the thing. That's, isn't the, it? that's the key. You know, he has his Varane and Casemiro absolute elite. He's brought in players that he knows in Anthony and Lissandra Martinez. But he's made Wan-Bissaka, Shaw, <laughs> Rashford. He's brought them to a level that nobody thought possible six months ago. Yeah, I'm very happy with that. Uh, Nathan needs to watch Man United a bit more. You, Nathan, basically the theme of... Uh, I watch, I watch uh, Manchester United every every weekend, tune in to Off the Ball on Sundays. Whether Ireland lose in the quarterfinals again doesn't take away from a series win in New Zealand and a potential Grand Slam, says Leonardo da Vinci. Nice of you to... Um, Get that message in uh, six months early. There you go. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And Colm reliably points out Andre Kincelskis was Manchester United's top Premier League scorer in his last season before the Everton sale. Uh, never did quite get the full story of that sale to Everton the the shady goings on but um, sure look anyway don't miss all the action in Rugby Daily today in your OTV podcast feed 
bringing you everything you need to know about rugby. It's all in partnership with Deliveroo. Deliveroo has some great bundles and deals, so open the app, make your choice, and watch your rider come to you. Deliveroo, food, we get it. On tomorrow's show, Derek McNamara breaks down the stats from Italy, Ireland, with a full comparison of the difference between uh, Johnny Sexton and Ross Byrne. Tommy Rooney is going to talk to us about the weekend's getting football and plenty more besides right now. The best of the Sunday paper review. Have an incredible day. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.